Hey everyone, uh, before we hit the music here on what should be another great edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, wanted to first tell you about our friends over at Manhattan Brewing Company, uh, located on 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan. Uh, the Short Side Option uh, Podcast is happy to partner with Manhattan Brewing Company as the title sponsor of the podcast, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful weekend in Manhattan, uh, so I would definitely encourage everyone to head down uh, either before the game during the game or after the game uh, to go uh, to Manhattan Brewing Company uh, to check them out. Uh, the motto over Manhattan Brewing Company is simple. It's we brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. They've got a tremendous selection of beers on tap at Manhattan Brewing Company, uh, nearly 20 beers on tap, all of which are brewed in-house. Uh, so there is going to be something to please anyone's palate. Uh, they provide a high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere. You're able to enjoy views of downtown Manhattan as you sip on some of their classics, like the Townie, a wheat brew with citra hops, or the Conservation Kolsch, a light in color and body beer with a slightly fruity aroma and taste. With that Conservation Kolsch, uh, $1 of each pint goes to the Sunset Zoo uh, to assist with their conservation efforts, so a great cause there. Uh, definitely be sure to check them out, whether if you're looking just for a place to watch the Wildcats play on Saturday or just wanting to find uh, a place to catch up with some friends, uh, either pre or post game uh, for a few beers. Manhattan Brewing Company is just the spot for you. That's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue in Manhattan. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Delu here as we look back at K-State's 34-17 win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. And it's Kansas State here on a four-game winning streak as they uh, roll over the West Virginia Mountaineers 34-17 to uh, in front of uh, the home faithful at uh, Bill Steiner Family Stadium. Moving their conference winning streak uh, to four and three, K State is now, or winning, putting the winning streak out to four games now, four and three in the league, seven and three overall, and uh, the Wildcats uh, will uh, have their home season finale against the Baylor Bears, a four thirty kickoff. Kind of an odd time here for the Wildcats. Uh, I don't. Rem- I've gone to K State games for a long time, Dell. I don't know if I've ever remember a four thirty kickoff. No, that's a new one for me, too. Uh, you know, usually we used to see the 330 kickoffs quite a bit, and those kind of moved to 230. Uh, yeah, 430, but that, that, hey, that works for me. I got nowhere yeah. to be. So 430 on FS1 uh, against a, uh, I said kind of going in the week, a top 10 Baylor team. They find themselves just outside the top 10 at, at number 11. Uh, but, but coming off of a big win uh, by the Bears against Oklahoma, still playing for a chance to play for a Big 12 title. A uh, lot on the line for both teams. K-State not really able uh, to get into the Big 12 title mix, uh, but however, wanting to, uh, to strive for 10 wins here uh, as they close out the final two games and then um, obviously have a chance to, uh, to add another one in the bowl game. So lots to play for for both teams and uh, should be a great stage uh, set for senior day in Manhattan. So, 
Lou, before we get uh, too far uh, here into looking back at the West Virginia game, you know, this four-game winning streak uh, that K-State finds themselves on here through kind of the end of October and uh, getting into the heart of November, has K-State doing what I think any K-State fan or any college football fan, for that matter, really hopes that their team can give them? And that's playing some interesting and meaningful football uh, here into the, uh, the last couple of weeks of the season. Absolutely. I mean, and boy, we've come a long way from uh, that run, uh, that three game losing streak K-State was on at the beginning of the year when uh, we just looked pretty bad for stretches. And and you especially after that Iowa State game where we looked just inept on offense, the defense was getting carved up. And all of a sudden you're thinking you're trying to squint your eyes and find three more wins to get bowl eligible. Um, But K-State found a way to scrape by Texas Tech picked up a little bit of momentum and cruised against TCU, cruised against Kansas, and won a, uh, a game against West Virginia last week. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves 7-3, and three, um, you know, still with a 10-win season uh, available for K-State. And so uh, it seems like just yesterday we were wondering if this season was going to uh, go down the toilet. But now it's turning out, I mean, we still have plenty in front of us to be one of the best seasons we've had in a long time. Yeah, you know, that's absolutely right. And, you know, K-State got out to a really uh, a nice start uh, against West Virginia. You know, this game, if you're a Mountaineer fan, you probably look at it and you probably say, you know what, this this is a game that we could have easily been right there uh, for the taking. I mean, it, it was just a, a situation to me, you know, having, having kind of studied this game and looked at it that uh, – you know, West Virginia, they moved the ball pretty well, you know, most of most of the afternoon on offense. But it's just the the self-inflicted, whether if it's penalties or self-inflicted mistakes, uh, just, you know, not catching a ball and then having to go bounce in the air to, for an interception like you saw in the second play uh, from scrimmage from them. Uh, but the, the Mountaineers just couldn't get out of their, out of their own way. And uh, the Wildcats really made them pay. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it felt like one of those uh, late Snyder games where K-State just doesn't really do anything to screw it up for the most part um, and plays pretty clean football throughout the day and kind of just waits for the other team to make some errors. And luckily for K-State, West Virginia was pretty error prone on Saturday. Yeah, you know, you look at kind of how this game goes in K-State, they, they do own the time of possession relatively close, 33 minutes to uh, about uh, 27. Uh, but West Virginia outgains them uh, by, you know, 45 yards. So not a huge difference there necessarily. But the big the big mistakes that uh, West Virginia makes being minus three on turnovers not even including a block punt uh, with with, uh, with two interceptions from uh, Daigie and then also a fumble that really sealed the deal for K-State. But getting involved in the special teams, too, uh, was, was something that was nice to see uh, for the Wildcats on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only the turnovers, but just the other boneheaded plays. I mean, yeah, interception. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, exactly right. The interception that was called off because of a really just odd targeting penalty where the guy just looks like he almost headbutts Skyler in the air. Yeah. Um, which is, which just last made time I checked, Last time I checked was illegal. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, 
targeting for the sake of targeting. But that wipes a K-State turnover off the board. That um, would have been pretty costly and given West Virginia the ball in pretty good field position. Yeah, great field position. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the turnovers, the block punt, um, just a lot of a lot of sloppiness from Neil Brown's squad. Well, and, and they have an interesting game this week against Texas in, in uh, Morgantown when, where you've got two teams that, you know, I thought West Virginia did fight in, in this game, and they, had, and they made it interesting late. Um, but that game against Texas this week uh, will be one that I'll be definitely keeping an eye on. Be interested to see what, uh, what the Longhorns uh, bring up to the mountains uh, of West Virginia. Uh, on a 11 o'clock kickoff, I think uh, I think West Virginia might have a chance to to get uh, take another step closer to bowl eligibility. But we'll uh, we'll maybe touch well, on that a little bit later. Yeah, here's the thing about that game is both each of those teams that that game's a bowl game elimination game. Yep, right? absolutely. And you know both teams both teams sitting at four wins right now. Both teams needing that fifth win. Yeah, uh, this needs Texas has. Uh, West Virginia and K-State left, so neither of those is a gimme. West Virginia has Texas and Kansas left. And uh, KU is no gimme. Well. We, we know that much now. Yeah. So, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll maybe touch on some things that have gone on here in the Big 12 here recently, uh, a little bit later in this podcast. But let's go ahead and break it down here for K-State, West Virginia. You know, I, I alluded to it early on. West Virginia starts digging themselves uh, in a hole early, you know, uh, a big run on first down by Letty Brown, you know, gets them in second, second and one to be able to, uh, you know, have the whole playbook open uh, pass, maybe a little high, maybe a touch behind uh, the intended receiver and um, and rush East uh, gets an interception and gets K-State, you know, an early turnover here where K-State then takes that drive, uh, starting at uh, the 45-yard line on, on the other side of the field. So they march 55 yards in, in pretty quick fashion here, and uh, they go up 7 nothing here on a couple big runs by, by, uh, by Cannonball Joe as he, as he gets the Wildcats on the scoreboard uh, in early fashion uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and that was I, – I think that's the best drive K-State had all day offensively, um, certainly the most efficient. Um, and at that point, it was hard to imagine a better start for K-State. Uh, the offense looked like it hadn't really missed a beat since it was cruising in the KU game. And six plays, 55 yards coming on the back of uh, five runs is a pretty uh, solid clip there. You know, in it was great to see Joe Irvin uh, get, get, on the, uh, get on the scoreboard early. You know, a guy that maybe flies under the radar a little bit, not necessarily so much for K-State fans, uh, but more so probably on the the Big 12 scene or maybe even, I mean, obviously I won't even say the national scene if you're not getting maybe the recognition you deserve on the conference level scene, uh, then, then your, your odds are you're not getting it on, on the national scene. And I'm not trying to make Joe Irvin out to be, you know, the necessarily the second coming of Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams back there in the backfield with Deuce Vaughn, but he has been a very nice running back for K-State this year. And, you know, he didn't do a whole lot else during the day, but on that first drive, uh, you know, busting that big 22 yard gain and then getting to pay it off uh, with, with a, with a short uh, touchdown on a, that was paved the way by a devastating block by uh, Jackson Deneen. 
uh, getting uh, getting the Wildcats on a scoreboard was a great way to get this game kicked off. Absolutely. And then on the West Virginia second drive, K-State's defense stalls them out again. And all of a sudden, K-State's uh, feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, they, they sure are. And, you know, in this um, in this on that second drive, K-State's, you know, kind of just a, a, a kind of a lackadaisical drive. They end up punting. They pin West Virginia deep, though, and uh, they they get it um, down there. Um, it, well, inside the 20, West Virginia backs it up a little bit uh, with, with a couple of penalties. And um, they have to punt from inside their own 20, which is where uh, K-State gets their second score of the day on a block punt return for a touchdown uh, by Marvin Martin, who uh, is, is getting some run here on special teams and has been a, a guy that uh, if, if you follow recruiting, K-State was uh, lucky to be able to, uh, to, you know, steal away from Boston College and it is a freshman that a lot of, uh, a lot of K-State fans have high hopes for as a potential fill-in here for some guys that we might be losing uh, here just as their eligibility expires uh, next year, but a guy that might be able to be a, uh, someone who's going to be a called on as, as a big-time performer for, for the K-State defense here in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, you know, it was a – Pretty clean block. Do you remember who actually blocked it? Yeah, on the block here, I, I've got it here. It was Mr. Ty Bowman. And Ty he, Bowman. He takes it right off uh, off of uh, the punter's uh, foot. And, and, you know, well, he, was, he was completely unblocked. Yeah, he was, completely, he was completely unblocked. And, you know, I saw the, an interview that he gave just earlier today or earlier, maybe it was yesterday. I might've just saw it today, but he said, you know, we, we, uh, we're able to see some things, uh, you know, in our special teams group, uh, with, uh, with our coaches that we thought we might have some luck getting, getting some pressure on the punter. And, and sure enough, they did. It was a, um, it was a, I mean, like I almost thought he could just have picked it up off of his foot and just ran it in himself. Almost. I didn't even know if he was going to get, uh, get the ball, uh, you know, even kicked necessarily. And sure enough, he, he really didn't. But uh, for being able to get a, an early uh, score like that uh, to really put the pressure and really tighten the, tighten the screws on West Virginia going up 14 nothing, uh, really kind of took, a, honestly, a lot of the anxiety out of this game for, for Wildcat fans. Uh, it was pretty smooth sailing until maybe a little bit later when things got a little nervy. Yeah, I mean the uh, you know the the offense really kind of sputtered there for a while. Um, you know, people were people on Twitter were being mean into Messingham. Um, yeah, which I know you take you take objection to. Yeah, well, K State had three drives in a row where they punted. Um, people don't really like that, uh, but um, there towards the end of the half, K State kicks a field goal gives up a field goal and we're up uh, 17 to three at the break. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Well, and the other thing too, I want to, I want to go back to a huge play in the first quarter. And it was a targeting call on Daniel green that was overturned. Now had the call been upheld uh, and, you know, I, I believe we had covered this before on the short side option um, after Daniel Green's second targeting call, I believe against 
with that, that was against Oklahoma State, I believe was the second. His first one was against Stanford. I believe the second one was against Oklahoma State. But that That's a third, correct. But that a third targeting call against Daniel Green would result, of course, in, you know, ejection from the game that was being played, but would also result in, in future ejection, um, you know, in, in, in the next game. So uh, not to have Daniel Green for Baylor would have been I, – I don't want to say – devastating but it insert other adjective there for very very bad because it was yeah because i I don't think that there's any i don't think that there's any question we'll get to baylor of course but in terms of what daniel green provides for this defense i don't think there's any question on his impact and uh, not to have them not not to be able to have daniel green uh for baylor would have been a killer uh, obviously, uh, the the targeting that called on Daniel Green was overturned, uh, so he was able to remain in the game and uh, really did a nice job throughout the remainder of the game. But that I thought was a huge thing, not only just in terms of you, you, you know having that momentum switch and giving a giving a you know jumping off point for that uh, momentum to to take that uh, move over to the West Virginia sideline. Uh, but it keeps your best, one of your best defensive players in the game. And more importantly for K-State now, as we look ahead to Baylor here a little bit later, uh, keeps him in the fold for that game as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and that was one of those plays where it looked, I wouldn't have been surprised if they called it targeting, Uh, but it, you know, who knows what, what it actually is. And it it seems completely arbitrary when they actually uphold it and when they. uh, Oh yeah. It's it's um, an incredibly arbitrary penalty, um, unless there's the clear as day ones like uh, the West Virginia one uh, on the on the Skylar Thompson interception uh, that happened. Uh, I mean, gosh, that one is, is as clear as day, right? So <laughs> yeah, uh, well, that one looked intentional, like he actually yes. had time to premeditate and bonk him on his head. But uh, yeah. you know, the the bang bang plays where both guys are, are lowering their heads and one the ball carrier's helmet happens to be in the spot where the tackler's helmet is. Um, you know, those get called and uh, upheld pretty often. That's what we, we – uh, it was that kind of play on Saturday. But luckily uh, gets wiped out and K-State gets – probably it's one of its – either its most important player, second most important player, third most important player on the defense uh, for the Baylor yeah. Well, let's go ahead and um, let's go fast forward to the second half. And K-State, uh, they'll, they get the ball to start, and they move it on down and, uh, and get seven here uh, after a big kick return by Malik Knowles uh, to get it deep inside West Virginia territory. K-State's got a short field, and they, and they, uh, they get it in there uh, for a, a pass to my guy, Sammy Wheeler, for the touchdown. Uh, not, not the last big play Sammy Wheeler makes on the day, of course, too. And we'll, yeah. we'll of course get to that, but K-State's got a 24 to three lead here. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, when, when K-State got up 14, nothing, then of course took the 17, three lead going into half, you were already feeling pretty good. If you weren't feeling good, I don't know what to tell you maybe at that point. But uh, after a really nice uh, kick return to start the second half and then marching it in uh, on a short field, uh, you had to be feeling really good right there up three scores. Yeah, at that point, it felt like it was over, Um, at least in my head. It was like, well, 
West Virginia just hasn't been able to put a drive together. At that point, they hadn't scored a touchdown in like – Yeah, which I, I was not quite aware of their offensive futility had extended that long. Um, but you know what? They – and this is where I give credit to West Virginia a little bit. Things are not looking good. They're, you're down three touchdowns on the road. And nothing's really gone right for you. You've had a couple, you've had a player ejected already. You've had a kick blocked, you know, everything's kind of going for you saying, Hey, this, this just isn't going to be our day. And they come down, they, they, uh, it it really, what this did, because with, you know, really with how K-State plays football and um, just kind of what the time in the game, uh, time and score with, with 10 minutes left in the third quarter, down three possessions, you don't have to score maybe every time you get it, but you kind of have to start operating as to say, hey, we're really not going to punt unless it's fourth and 25 or fourth and you know 15 or whatever, and we just can't really possibly go for it on fourth down. If it's fourth and 10 or less, we might be going for this. And uh, they, they kind of had a little bit more of that aggressiveness, and um, – you know, I think that might have helped kind of spur them a little bit because they go down, score a touchdown, uh, converting uh, on a fourth down um, on the way there, and uh, they make it a, a twenty-four to ten game. Uh, but you're you're still feeling pretty good at this point in time. Yeah, um, mostly just because, like you said, they had to convert a fourth down. There, it's their first touchdown of the day, and it gets scored at about the six-minute mark of the third quarter. Um, and you still have a two touchdown lead and you start thinking, well, you know, if we can just get three more points here, then you, you feel like the game's pretty well wrapped up. If you, if we could stretch this out to a three possession game again, um, then really West Virginia would have to play a lot, a lot. A lot has to go, well, a lot has to go right. And you kind of right. think you're saying, well, they're going to have to probably either one get a turnover or one get, you know, some sort of onside kick. And I'll tell you what, I thought after they scored, uh, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we won't jump to that yet. So they kick off to us. Uh, Deuce Vaughn breaks, and on the first play of that, uh, once it being a 24-10 game, Deuce Vaughn breaks off a big run and then, and then uh, gets it down into inside the West Virginia 30 uh, for, for then – K-State to kind of stall out inside inside the 10-yard line. And uh, Chris Tennant misses a chip shot. And this is where the momentum, to me, you could feel it kind of, kind of switch, right? So, West Virginia – Yeah, because that was exactly what we just said. Yeah, exactly. Happen. Exactly. So, you know, it's be- – the one thing I guess you can say is it's not a turnover that gives them great field position necessarily. It's just, you don't score when you're counting on, you know, an easy three to make it, you know, a 17 point game. And, you know, at that point, three possession game. Uh, But now this gives kind of West Virginia uh, a, um, a little bit of a lifeline here and they, they move it down and they score a touchdown. They go, they have to go 80 yards, but they do it in 14 plays taking up um 
you know, about six minutes of time, which is important because at this point, you know, time's not really a huge factor, but they're, they're wanting to kind of get the tempo going. K-State gets them to a couple of different times. Uh, they, they have to convert four different or two different fourth down uh, conversion opportunities there uh, before uh, they're able to punch it in. But kind of in a blink of an eye here in terms of what goes from kind of a rocking chair game for K-State fans uh, to it being, you know, a, a seven-point ball game uh, with uh, just under 12 minutes to play, and you're thinking, you know, K-State's had have, has lost five straight games now against the Mountaineers. I mean, what, what, do we have to do, what do we have to do to beat these guys? It kind of felt like a little bit of like that uh, 2019 game where yeah. K- you, you felt like K-State was clearly the better team. You thought that, you know, they were going to eventually pull away and get it out to arm length, uh, and they never did, and they ultimately let West Virginia hang around and win that day. Uh, but K-State uh, was not going to let history repeat itself. Uh, they they kind of closed this game out in, in pretty in pretty impressive fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at 24 to 17, it, it felt – pretty darn tight just because of the way West Virginia stormed back. But, you know, the drive of the day and probably the one of the biggest plays of the season occurred on the ensuing possession by K-State when they, uh, you know, they, they marched down the field a little bit, get all the way to the West Virginia 41, 39 yard line, but then comes fourth down. It's, It's not just fourth down. It's fourth and eight. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's a, it's in a tricky spot in the field. Cause you're at the, you know, you're at the 40 yard line or, or thereabouts. And, you know, at this point in time, you're thinking, well, we don't really have the momentum right now. I don't really necessarily want to give the ball back. I don't want to also give West Virginia the ball back, you know, a first down away from midfield. So um, I thought the play was to punt here. And I don't think I'm probably alone in that uh, on, on a fourth and eight call, but uh, Chris Kleiman dials up uh, and Chris Kleiman and, and mess. Gotta be fair. Gotta be fair. Gotta be fair. Yeah. They dial up, they dial up a big one. Dell, you want to tell us about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you, uh, you're kind of in no man's land. You are. You are for if, sure. If you punt it in, and odds are it goes in the end zone, you know, if it goes in the end zone, then you, you gain 18 yards. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that West Virginia can make up in two plays, you know, three plays, yeah. whatever. And, it's a yeah. And so I don't, I don't fault the decision. I mean, I think it's a, I, I wouldn't have been irate if we punted. I wouldn't have been, I mean, I wasn't irate that we went for it. I, I just think it's a judgment call, but K state, uh, Calls up the right play. Uh, they find your boy Sammy Wheeler right there in the seam. Uh, Skyler throws his best pass of the day uh, when we needed it the most and gets K State all the way down to uh, inside the five yard line there. And that was uh, at that point. It felt like okay that that feel, that felt like it sealed it finally. Um, because uh, you know, converting on that's that's just a backbreaker of a play if you're West Virginia to uh, have K State. You got all the momentum. You got a fourth and long, really, with a chance to take possession uh, on your own forty yard line, and 
you come up short uh, because of a great pass to the, <laughs> the backup tight end. And uh, luckily for K-State, on the next play, Deuce Vaughn uh, shuffles on over the goal line and puts K-State back up 14. You know, and like you said, that for a West Virginia fan, it, it, it's one of these things, too. It's like you, you, it's not like a busted coverage. It's not a, you know, a guy falls down. It's not, you know, anything like that. It's just a really well-thrown ball into a pretty darn tight window. I mean, it's uh, – and also, too, it wasn't just a nine-yard gain for, you know, first down. That was a, you know, 35-yard gain to get K-State, you know, inside the five. So, that obviously sets up, a, a you know, a big-time uh, scoring um, – Opportunity, which K-State punches in after not having punched in earlier uh, from uh, from inside the um, from inside the five. This time they uh, they were able to do so. And and really, at that point, you, you could feel pretty darn comfortable uh, about uh, about where K-State was going to find themselves in the game. And that, uh, you know, that put Deuce, Deuce Vaughn uh, with a baker's dozen. Uh, rushing touchdowns on the season, uh, bringing it his total to 13 and uh, also three receiving touchdowns. So quite the season for Deuce Vaughn so far. Absolutely. And, and then on West Virginia's next possession, they go three plays and a fumble. Yeah. Caused fumble. by King Felix. Caused by King Felix, recovered by uh, Reggie Stubblefield, who continues just to – to wow us out there on the field and make, uh, make big plays uh, from his position at, at the nickelback spot and, and wherever else he finds himself at, uh, whether if it's uh, blitzing inside, he, he's done a great job. And for him to, you know, he had a couple of really nice plays. I mean, obviously the, um, the fumble recovery at the end of the game, you know, uh, kind of puts the, uh, puts the period, puts the exclamation point on K-State's uh, defensive effort for that day. But more than anything, too, uh, I th- one of the plays that probably, you know, catches my eye and I think caught everyone's eye is West Virginia earlier in the game. They throw a little little uh, just bubble screen out to the, out to the top, top of the screen. And, and Reggie reads really well, gets great leverage on, on the guy blocking him and is able to blow up the play. You know, and, and you see it in the box score. Uh, it's a, you know – maybe a tackle for two yard loss or maybe even no TFL, you know? Yeah. TFL, no question about it, but uh, you know, that you, you might not think maybe much of that when, if you just see it in the box score, but um, when you see how he plays, I, I feel like I repeat myself every week when I come on here to talk about him is he jumps off the screen at you with not only, his level of play, but his, his level of enthusiasm out there and the, uh, the level of swagger he brings to this K-State defense. It's been a great uh, addition and uh, one that I, like, as I say, I continue to, uh, to, uh, to, to pump him up out there, but this is a guy who's really played a huge role in, in this K-State defense and a guy that I don't think anyone would have really projected that uh, from uh, at this time, maybe back in uh, August or September. No, I mean, I thought he was a joke when we recruited. I thought he was like a meme, but um, he has been a great addition to this defense, uh, filling in that nickel spot, playing it just superbly, uh, especially in a year where a guy like TJ Smith is a little banged up and the secondary isn't quite as deep without him. 
as we thought it was going to be. But, um, no, you know, we're seeing uh, Joe Hennington play a lot less uh, than we thought, than we saw in the year. Um, and Reggie has kind of assumed that nickel, that third linebacker, whatever you want to call it, um, that third guy in the middle level of the defense for K-State. And you're absolutely right. I mean, he's just – he's long and can get through blocks and uh, is really good in run support and pretty rangy in the passing game too. And just really is kind of a Jack of all trades in that K-State defense. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of just as many uh, for Reggie Stubblefield. And, you know, this is a guy too, that uh, like I said, has also just elevated seemingly the play of, of a lot of other folks on the defense, just with his energy and uh, like I said, a great guy to have, and it's really a shame that it's only going to be for one year. Uh, but uh, with it being senior day, I, I think he will get quite the ovation. I think he's uh, just in a, a short time uh, here in Manhattan. I think he has really uh, won over a lot of people and uh, should get a great ovation on Saturday, uh, along with, I believe, the other uh, 30 seniors. I believe the, the uh, grand total is 31 will be going through um, – through on senior day. So a great opportunity to highlight those folks uh, on senior day. Want to just kind of touch back on the offense. Skylar Thompson, 14 of 19, 138 yards and a touchdown. You know, nothing's about that line is going to really stick out to you. But, you know, didn't think it was one of his sharper games. Uh, of course, could have easily had a very costly interception had it not been for uh, the targeting call in West Virginia. You know, he wasn't asked to do, I think, a ton in, in the um, – you know, in, in the past game, really, uh, of course, the big, the big throw down the seam, uh, right down the shoot there to Sammy Wheeler really, you know, obviously was a, the play of the game. Uh, if you, if you want to even maybe put this on there, it might be the offensive play of the season so far, maybe. And just in terms of the circumstances, maybe you could maybe yeah. squint hard enough to say that. Um, I think King Felix's safety is probably the play, the play of the overall play of the uh, season so far. Uh, but, you know, really when you look at what uh, he did, pretty steady game. I, I was, you know, I was watching this game and I was just saying, uh, I was watching it with our with our buddy Quentin, who of course uh, is short sighted option listener fans uh, know full well. Uh, he, I just said, you know, as long as K State doesn't do anything silly here in this game, they're the better team. As long as they don't just have you know mindless turnovers or um, you know make really any bad errors, they should win this game pretty easily. And that was really the name of the game for K State on Saturday. Played smart force West Virginia into self-inflicted, you know, turnovers or bad penalties. And, you know, K-State was able to cruise to this, uh, to a 34-17 win uh, without maybe playing their sharpest game on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a game where Thompson for the most part was, you know, had a lot of miscues, just kind of looked off throughout the day. A couple um, of balls that, that, you know, like there was that one that he kind of like spiked, you know, like yeah. uh, it, it just so seemingly like a little bit uncharacteristic. It was a little bit colder, you know, than, than maybe he's seen so far this year. But this is a guy who's played in cold weather before. Uh, it was a little odd to me that um, he was a little bit just off, for lack of a better term. But uh, expect, expect to see a better performance out of him on Saturday against Baylor. Yeah, and, and it's 
we're lucky to be able to take for granted a little bit at this point, um, you know, having won four in a row. But in a, in a game where K-State's most important player on offense uh, really just comes out, looks kind of flat for the most part, doesn't really – I mean, just a very imperfect game from Skylar Thompson. But to have that happen and for K-State still to go out and, and win a mostly comfortable game uh, – besides the part where it got a little dramatic. Um, but to come out and see a final score where K-State doubles up the Mountaineers, uh, wins by 17 points, uh, all on a day where Ty- where uh, Skyler's not playing his best, is is pretty nice to have. Absolutely. And, you know, we uh, – what anything else you want to add on the offensive side of the ball? No, not no. I think uh, it was not the offense's best performance of the season, but it, good enough to get the job done. I think that's a pretty good way of saying it. And, you know, as I've mentioned now a couple times, as long as this K-State offense didn't do anything that was really going to be catastrophic, uh, this was, this was going to be a game that K-State was going to be able to handle uh, West Virginia. And they did just that. So credit to the offense, I suppose, for uh, playing a smart game. Uh, But something tells me they're going to have to have a little bit more firepower, uh, you know, be, behind them if they're going to upset Baylor well maybe not quite an upset we'll get get to that one here in a little bit folks uh but on the defensive side of the ball really nice to see Cody Fletcher have a nice game of course kind of put the finishing touches on the game with an interception uh you know kind of there in 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 the final couple uh plays of the game uh where K-State's just able to kneel it out afterwards uh thought he played well um, another guy that I thought played really well, Nate Matlack. Uh, two tackles for loss, uh, a sack. You know, a guy that, you know, we, we've talked about a little bit earlier. Probably being pressed into, into action maybe a year before he's probably was counted on to do anything. Uh, but is a guy that ha- has shown to be a, a pretty reliable part uh, of this K-State defense when called upon. His role is going to increase now with uh, Spencer Trussell having gotten banged up. Apparently the word on Trussell, nothing overly serious, uh, but with, uh, with Matt Lack having had some, had some run in earlier games this season, it's a guy that you do feel at least somewhat comfortable with uh, getting out there if he's out for any sort of um, kind of, I guess, stretched out snap counts. Yeah, absolutely. And all of a sudden, K-State's defensive end position is pretty darn young. Uh, Felix and Matlack carrying the bulk of the load uh, these last few games. And uh, But Matlack's a guy who, um, you know, doesn't garner quite as much attention as Felix does, at least not yet. But uh, it's a guy who's got a really good motor and has a nose for the football and has found some ways to get some sacks here this season and, and caused a little bit of havoc in the backfield. And yeah, I agree. It was a, a very nice day from Nate Matlack as well. You mentioned that motor. I mean, there was the, the one play that, you know, he, he, he couldn't quite make uh, was when he, he's running down Daggy, uh, where Daggy's able to find, uh, you know, the guy in the end zone for the fourth, uh, for the fourth down conversion to, uh, to get the touchdown. Right there. I mean, he's, he's given great effort all, all the way through and, uh, you know, that that sometimes just happens, but you can't question the motor. You can't question the effort. Uh, thought his thought his play really. I mean, it, it, you even go back to that Nevada game uh, this year 
when uh, he runs down Carson Strong. Now, Carson Strong's not the most fleet of foot, but in, in a similar kind of situation, fourth down play, uh, Nevada trying to, uh, to, to, you know, keep it close here with K-State in the fourth quarter. And Matlack uh, runs him down, is able to kind of force him out of bounds or force him to, you know, come up short there. He doesn't – I don't think he makes the final tackle on it, if I remember correctly. But his level of pursuit on, on, the, on opposing quarterbacks is pretty good because still being a little bit of a young guy, still kind of growing into maybe his frame – maybe has a little bit more, uh, you know, juice left in those legs uh, than having after having played four or five years of college football. Uh, but he definitely brings a brings a good motor uh, to the defensive end spot, which, you know, there's no substitute for that. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him and uh, his present is uh, certainly contributing as well. You know, another guy I wanted to, to bring up, too, is um, is a guy who I've thought has played really well on the defensive line that maybe has gone under the radar. He, he doesn't maybe get his, maybe as many snaps and maybe at the, at the defensive tackle position, just with the, the, three, three, five scheme that, uh, that you find yourselves in maybe not getting, you know, maybe as much run as maybe he should, but Eli Huggins, I thought he's played really well yeah. this season. Uh, he gets a, gets a sack and also uh, gets another tackle for loss back there as well. You know, that's a guy, too, that I thought has has really been pretty consistent throughout the um, throughout the season. I mean, Timmy Horn has uh, kind of you know established himself as a leader on the defense and somebody that you know really takes up, uh, you know, the, maybe the bulk of, of, of the of the, the reps at that uh, defensive tackle position. But when Eli Huggins comes to the game, you don't notice much of a drop off. I think he played really well this season and he, and he certainly played well on Saturday. Yeah, Eli Huggins, uh, absolutely. He's been able to rotate in, and, you know, K-State likes to rotate out guys on uh, the defensive line a lot. And, and Huggins, like you said, he uh, K-State doesn't really miss a beat, uh, whether it's Horn or Huggins. Um, and while we're at it, I mean, I, Russ East, obviously. Yeah, had, that was the next guy who I was going to hit on. Yeah, he had a, he had a great game, too. And I think Ross Elder is becoming Mr. Dependable. Um, you know, for a guy who a lot of fans kind of rag on and, and a lot of that's because he was, he got picked on a little bit last year, but that, uh, he's kind of assumed the role that TJ Smith had towards the beginning of the season and has just flat out beat him out for it at this point in the year. Um, you know, whether that's because TJ is a little banged up or not, but I think, uh, the K-State's three safeties, uh, who for the most part have been, McPherson, uh, Elder, and Yeast have all been pretty solid these last few weeks uh, throughout this four-game stretch. Yeah, with that trio, I would say there's nothing really that's been spectacular uh, necessarily with with any of those three, but it's been pretty solid. And, you know, even on Saturday, Elder kind of got targeted a little bit early uh, on a couple of, of a couple of throws from the Mountaineers, but was able to, you know, shake that off. Uh, the really, I mean, obviously, you know, if you've played football before and you played the safety position in particular, the number one rule is don't let anyone behind you. And, you know, if, if you do that, odds are you're going to be okay because when you notice when a safety gets, draws the ire of the fan, it's when someone just runs behind them and you can't have that happen. You keep things in front of you. You're gonna be at an you're gonna play at an at an okay enough level 
uh, to, to not at least get everyone on your case, maybe. But Ross Elder, I thought, has played well. Um, Jerron McPherson, I think, has maybe had a little bit of kind of a, a kind of a mediocre year, if we're just going to call it like it is yeah. on that. And then Rush East, you know, I thought early on in the season, I thought his play was kind of sporadic. You know, he, he got the big interception um, early in that uh, in that Stanford game. But then in, in some of the losses, especially against Oklahoma State, I think is one that sticks out. I thought his tackling performance was really bad and thought that he didn't well, really. So was the rest of the team. Yeah, and, and, you know, there were plenty to choose from. His, his performance in particular stood out to me. Uh, you know, really, at the end of the day, K-State's defense was kind of infused. I mean, you, you look at it here. Julius Brents, uh, Rush Yeast, Reggie Stubblefield, um, guys like the, Timmy Horn. You know, those, those three or four guys have really added just a level of depth that, that K-State hadn't had before and have, has added upgrades, too. I mean, these guys, those guys are all starters. I mean, and they've all played big parts here in the season. Uh, I would have to say that, that on the defensive side of the ball, you have to give very solid marks to what Kleiman and staff have done, in, not only in terms of bringing these guys in, but getting them up to speed and getting them uh, you know, ready to play the kind of defense they want in, in what's really been a brand-new scheme for K-State here this year with the 3-3-5. Uh, you have to be fair. you got to give them credit uh, for, one, not only identifying the players to bring in, uh, but getting them up to speed and getting them coached up uh, to go out there and uh, execute the defensive system that they're looking to run. Yeah. I mean, and you know, we, we, we talked about it last week and we'll talk about it again here is that this uh, you know, with, during the three game losing streak that we were so down on the defense that boy, they, they really just look terrible. Um, but then all of a sudden case case state starts playing some offenses that are uh kind of middle of the pack, uh, middle to lower of the pack in the conference. The defense looks great. Isn't that funny how that works out? Um, you know, in the last seven halves, K-State's allowed just uh, 41 points uh, total. Uh, the second half against Tech, they shut them out. K-State gave up 12 to TCU, 10 to Kansas, and 17 to West Virginia. Um, and those are – that's pretty good numbers. If you can hold Big 12 teams – to under 20 points a game, um, then you're doing something right. And uh, it, all that to say, I, K-State's defense over these last four games looks to be gelling quite well. Um, granted, it's it's against inferior offenses, but uh, nonetheless, those are some pretty good marks against uh, conference foes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, the schedule – Makers didn't do K-State a whole lot of favors uh, stacking. Now, I don't necessarily mind playing, you know, you have to play everybody. So, you know, some of the, the school of thought was let's get, let's play them early because, Hey, you know, later in the season, you're more likely to be banged up with injuries. Let's play them early on the season. And, and uh, you know, while we're healthy and, and we'll be good to go. Well, you know, kind of the opposite's true here in K-State's uh, – in how the season has fallen for K-State. Um, K-State gets that test, though, now a little bit uh, here. In, in I don't know, Dilo, is there anything else you wanted to say here on Iowa State – or on uh, on West Virginia here before we, we move forward here with uh, looking at – taking a look at Baylor? No, let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, transition to this week. 
Yeah, so let's go ahead and take a look on it. You know, K-State rolls it up on, on West Virginia, 34-17, and uh, they, they move that winning streak to four. Uh, they're seven and three here going into this ball game against the eight and two, uh, five and two Baylor Bears, seven and three, four and three in conference, uh, Kansas State. And, you know, it's one of those games you look back at the, that tough three game stretch that K State played against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. If you just find a way to win one of those games, you're really looking at it at a really big game here, uh, you know, with both teams in this alternate universe being five and two, uh, this is kind of a big 12 title game eliminator, uh, for both those schools. Yeah. But now K-State has a little bit of a chance to play spoiler here, uh, on Baylor and, and knock them out of, uh, you know, contention to get to Arlington. And for K-State, I think this really serves as a great opportunity, uh, for this program, uh, you know, on, on a big time stage here, senior day, national television broadcast to go out there and, uh, you know, say, you know, didn't maybe have to get off the start conference play we wanted to. Uh, you know, there's a couple different things. We're, you know, a little bit beat up, you know, all that stuff. But uh, this is a great opportunity for them to really put uh, a, a nice, you know, uh, kind of feather in their cap here as they look to close out what could be a, you know, a 10-win season here with that still definitely being a possibility on the table. Yeah, I mean, this is as big a game as, as there's been in, at Fort Snyder's. I mean – I say that, but Iowa State was a pretty big game before Snyder, too. Yeah, but, it was. But, but this is this a little bit bigger has, than me. This one has that same kind of feel to it where, uh, you know, it's it's a chance for K-State to go out, be a highly ranked opponent. Uh, both teams feeling pretty good about their season so far. Both teams relatively healthy. I mean, that, that's one thing about K-State this year is that, uh, you know, aside from – Khalid Duke and uh, Booms injury, and obviously a Skylar Thompson injury earlier this year. But overall, it's been a pretty, pretty healthy season for K State, where we find ourselves this deep into the season in just a couple scratches. Um, and so it it's a good opponent. K State's riding a lot of momentum too, um, and it's at home, and it's at four thirty. Uh, that's right. It's at 4.30. Do not forget that part. Don't want to have people That's showing up late. The prototypical big game time. Yes, so, absolutely. But no, it, it should be a fun one this weekend. It should be. And, you know, a, um, we, we owe them uh, one here for, for a couple years. You know, we, we haven't, uh, haven't beat them since 2017. Uh, dropped to them in, in 2018. Uh, you know, in, uh, in, um, in Waco in 2019, uh, of course, uh, a very good Baylor team, uh, that went on to go play in the big 12 title. Uh, they, they beat us here in Manhattan. And then last year, a game that really K-State should have won, uh, a, a kind of a wild shootout after, you know, dominating the first half, uh, fell apart completely in the second half. So K-State um, looking to, uh, you know, kind of end a little bit of a skid here to the Baylor Bears, having lost three. But uh, 4.30 game time, kickoff on FS1, Aaron Goldsmith and Mark Helfrich, the former Oregon coach, uh, on the call. Uh, they do a bang-up job over there on Fox Sports 1, and uh, it should be a big-time atmosphere too. I mean, with, with K-State welcoming in a, a, a top 15 team in here, 
uh, on senior day, really having, having the stage set for uh, what would be a, a really nice uh, way to cap off uh, what has been a really a pretty fun season here for K-State. Uh, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of ink left to the pin here in terms of what uh, the Wildcats might be able to write, but uh, a win here uh, for the Wildcats would really go a long way in, in not only what they're able to do uh, in terms of just having a nice season, but uh, always jockeying for bowl position. So let's go ahead and break down this game, D. Lou. You know, I look at this game in, in a couple, two, two things stand out at me. One, where the game falls on the Baylor schedule. Okay. They just had a huge win over Oklahoma. You know, big, big noon uh, game. Uh, against uh, Oklahoma, they've got the the Fox College pregame set there uh, to take it all in. Uh, you know, it's the big game of the week, and, and they completely outplay Oklahoma. And they the, the yeah. final score of that game is twenty seven fourteen. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't that close. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, it was closer with a few seconds left on the uh, score on the uh, game clock. But yeah, and were- then. And then Dave Aranda goes out and kicks a field goal, which I say give him credit for because, quite frankly, it breaks the code of sport. I think he did. I think it breaks the code of sportsmanship icon. Do you? Well, there you wouldn't be the only person that uh, that would say that. I was listening to Mad Dog Russo this week, and there was a guy calling in about that and said he was very upset about this, and that the next time Oklahoma plays Baylor and that Oklahoma has a way better team than Baylor, they're going to really run it up on Baylor. And they should be they should be thinking about that. And then this this the same gentleman was saying that uh, Baylor's got a tricky game this week against Kansas State, and that he's going to bet on K State just out of spite. Uh, was this for, you who called into Mad Dog? No, this wasn't me that called into Mad Dog. I have no problem with the with them kicking a field goal. I would call into the dog. I'd tell I'd tell him I give him the what's what. I'd say, hey, it's fine. You think Oklahoma's never ran up the score on anybody? Yeah. Think Lincoln Riley's never ran up the score on anybody? Give me a break. Give, Give me, me a break. break. But uh, so it, it, it's kind of in, in prime letdown mode, possibly. But the one thing is that I'll say about Baylor, very impressed with Dave Aranda. Has done a really a nice job this year after what looked like to be kind of a shaky start uh, to the season or to his tenure at Baylor last year, uh, you know, having kind of a, a lackluster season. He's really got the Baylor Bears humming and they're led behind what is a very strong running game and, and pretty solid quarterback play from Jerry Bohannon. But, uh, you know, really when you look at kind of what uh, Baylor does offensively, uh, they're led by Abram Smith. Uh, they're, they're kind of standout running back ran for already over 1200 yards on the season and uh, has really started picking it up here too. In, in the last couple of weeks, his last four games on the ground, 188 yards, 145 yards, 125 yards, and 148 yards. This is a guy that's, uh, you know, one of the top running backs in the Big 12 and uh, has really turned in an impressive season. Yeah, I mean, the Big 12 is, you know, it used to be a quarterback league, but this year it feels like it's more of a running back league between Robinson and Deuce and uh, Brees Hall, of course. But Avery Smith's another guy who – I feel like has kind of just exploded onto the scene this year. It's been his kind of breakout, uh, you know, um, coming out party. Uh, but Abram Smith, like very, very good running back. But don't forget about Tristan Ebner either. Uh, that's a, another running back Baylor likes to use. Uh, Smith has 
40 more carry, uh, 50 more carries this season. But Tristan Ebner has got 114 carries for 642 yards in his own right. Uh, so he's averaging 5.6 yards a clip too. Yeah, you know, it, it's a team that their identity is really based upon running the ball. And K-State's been, you know, pretty stingy against the against the rush. Um, in, in conference games, they rank, you know, fourth in, in the Big 12 in terms of rush yards a game. They're giving up about, uh, about four yards a carry there. Now, when it comes to rushing offense, I mean, Baylor's the top in the top in the, in the conference, and this is going to be a really big test for this K-State defense. Now, the one thing that's nice is we've mentioned K-State's pretty darn healthy on the defensive side of the ball, and, you know, for a team to have that strength, you know, would it be nice to have Boom Massey to be available and to have a, have another you know body along, along the defensive line? Yeah, it would be. But uh, I keep going back to that Daniel Green targeting. Uh, without Daniel Green playing linebacker for us, it, it starts to look pretty tough uh, for what K State might be able to do uh, to slow down what's really you know a very talented Baylor offense. Yeah, I mean it's it's a game where thank God that Daniel. Daniel Green is uh, with us and because he's going to be challenged a lot, not, not to take anything away from Austin Moore, who's done a, a fine job uh, cleaning up some of those too, but uh, it's going to be all hands on deck to stop a, a pretty versatile and powerful Baylor offense. You know, let's talk a little bit about the quarterback, Jerry Bohannon's. This is a guy that, uh, you know, had to kind of fight out, uh, you know, to win that starting job. Uh, was able to beat out uh, who, who the backup was, uh, Jacob Zeno, who you may remember from his uh, his kind of cameo in the uh, the 2019 uh, Big 12 championship game. Uh, Charlie Brewer gets injured. Uh, in comes Jacob Zeno, and it doesn't look very good for the Bears here uh, for the first uh, couple drives. Uh, but then out of nowhere, he flips the switch and he gets them uh, moved down the field pretty, pretty quickly. They turn, take that game to overtime where Oklahoma ultimately pulls away and wins there. But, um, you know, Jerry Bohannon being able to, to kind of establish that position uh, for, for the Bears, you know, he's brought them just kind of pretty steady quarterback play. Nothing that's going to, you know, jump off the page at you. Uh, but he's, you know, he's thrown 16 touchdowns to six interceptions. He's also a, a threat on the ground. He'll, he, he ran for over 100 yards against Oklahoma. So it's a dual threat kind of guy. Uh, but is a guy that's going to be, you know, called on in the running game. Uh, in terms of what he's able to do throwing the ball, maybe not maybe the most uh, electrifying pass in the world, but capable enough and, and, and of course also a, a threat on the ground uh, to run the ball as well. So he brings a couple of different dimensions uh, to the Baylor offense. Yeah. Um, pretty dynamic guy. It's, it's, you know, I, I don't think he's the best quarterback in the league, but a guy that's maybe a little bit like uh, Spencer Sanders, somebody who's mobile enough, not the, not the sharpest arm in the world, uh, but somebody who can certainly make you pay, especially with, uh, the talented receivers that Baylor has. Um, if you if you go too all in on trying to stop uh, Baylor's rushing offense, and so Jerry Bohannon uh, already thrown for two thousand yards this season, sixteen touchdowns, does has six interceptions too. 
Yeah. Take, a, take some sacks too. Uh, seven sacks on the year, not a ton, but uh, does get sacked from time to time. Um, but he's rushed for almost 300 yards in his own right. Um, but, but I think the story of the day for Baylor is the guys like Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the one thing, too, to note about Bohan is he has been turning the ball over a little bit more lately. Um, in his last four games, he's had at least a ter- uh, at least an interception uh, in each of those. Uh, against uh, Texas and TCU, he had two. So a guy that uh, can make mistakes, uh, but overall has provided a pretty solid or pretty steady hand uh, for the Baylor offense. In terms of who his top receivers are going to be, you've got Tyquan Thornton, um, RJ Sneed, and then at the tight end position, you got Ben Sims, who who's a, a trusted big time target there for him. So, you know, with Baylor, you always have guys that um, seemingly are are very athletic at the wide receiver position. One of my favorite things to say: a bunch of frisbee catching dogs out there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, they this is not necessarily any different uh, with what uh, with what Baylor has, at least. From an athlete uh, perspective, uh, it's a um, it, it's a team that um, can really uh, have a couple different ways to go out and beat you. And uh, really, when you look at kind of what they want to do, though, more 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 ground focused, uh, but certainly with Thornton and Sneed, uh, also Tristan Ebner, as you mentioned earlier, stinks out of the backfield uh, a fair amount, and they'll line them out wide in the slot as well. A uh, couple of guys that can really hurt you in the passing game as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an offense that wants to run the ball a lot, wants to feed uh, their good running backs as much as they can. But uh, you know, it's a little bit like the K-State offense, right? I mean, it's, it's a run predicated offense, but if teams sell out to stop the run, they'll be able to beat you uh, um, with pass too. If, if, if that's the direction you want to take things, but you know, I read it on message boards every week that every team that plays K-State they say, boy, if we could just contain Deuce Vaughn, then I don't see this K-State offense doing much. Well, number one, containing Deuce Vaughn is, is easier said than done. Uh, and the same is true for the Baylor running backs. But number two, it, even if you do your best to contain the running game, then the, uh, the Baylor offense is, is good enough to spread you out and uh, test your uh, secondary that's got a lot of resources, a lot of eyes in the backfield. And so uh, it, it's, it, it's a bit of a tricky spot. Now, I, I don't want to say that this Baylor offense is, is out of this world because it's not. I mean, it, this, no. uh, I think it's a middling to an upper above average to average uh, offense in the league. But the, uh, the real beat on Baylor is just that running game. It, it's a little bit like, uh, like an Iowa State profile, a K-State profile, where they have a really good feature back. They have some good backs behind him and a, a quarterback who is mobile enough and has a good enough arm to make you pay. Um, and so it's a, it's a tricky spot for Klanderman this week to, to figure out how to uh, contain the Baylor offense. Your Iowa state comparison, I think is, is very well served. I think that when you look at kind of what that, that was the first thing that jumped off the page to me that when I was looking at kind of comparison teams, right. Is you look at what, what Brees Hall did against K-State. And then you start saying, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that idea. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's very well served. I think, I think Baylor and Iowa state, I mean, obviously too, you look back at the first game of the season for conference play, Iowa state goes on the road to Baylor. Iowa state should have won that game. No question, no question about it, but, but crucial mistakes and, and, and turnovers for Iowa state kind of ruled the day there. And, and Baylor was able to, uh, to escape with a win and really, you know, you look at kind of what that might look like uh, here on this game. Can K-State this is the this is the key for me. Can K-State look at what they did against Iowa State and look at what they've done against, you know, teams that have really wanted to run the football and say what what has worked against them? What hasn't worked? This is kind of like the final exam here for for K-State in terms of really wanting if they want to really talk about how good of a team they are. And um you know, at this point, to me, you're going to have, uh, you know, as healthy of, of a defense as you've had in a while, a uh, great opportunity to make a statement and great opportunity to really, um, to really, you know, put a nice stamp on a season. That's exactly right. Um, and so let's transition to the, uh, to the Baylor defense, K-State offense. This Baylor defense is pretty good. Um, what do you uh, – how do you see K-State attacking this Baylor offense? Is it the same stuff it on the ground until they make you pass it and then go from there? Or, or what's your, what's your read on the, uh, on the game when K-State has the ball? When K-State has the ball on offense, you know, I look at what they did against West Virginia. Okay. Against West Virginia, I thought K-State's offensive line at times really kind of dominated the game. I mean, they were getting great push. You had guys like Christian Duffy getting to that next level, Cooper Beebe getting to that next level. Guys, when you ran the ball with the fullback with Jackson Ean, really paving a, a good path for the running backs. I thought K-State's seemingly ran the ball best when they were running behind uh, Jackson Ean and, and, and the fullbacks that they were moving around. I mean, when I say fullbacks, I mean multiple fullbacks in on the same play with with Barda and uh, Senate moving around out there too, uh, really kind of imposing their will on, on a West Virginia team that had been pretty stout against the run. Uh, but this is going to be probably the toughest test K-State's had from a defensive standpoint since probably that Iowa State game. So when, yeah. you, when you talk about kind of what K-State wants to do uh, – you, you know, when they have the football uh, against Baylor, I think there might be a little bit of an opportunity uh, to take advantage of the Bears through the air. And, you know, with K-State having been, you really, when you, when you talk about it, pretty darn healthy on the offensive side of the ball, too. Uh, it matter, Bebe, you know, he, he's had kind of snap count restrictions throughout the season. Uh, the reason why you do that is you keep these guys healthy for the stretch run. And I think that he could be a guy that uh, that plays a big role in on Saturday's game. Uh, Malik Knowles has kind of been quiet at times this season. Most of his noise has been made on special teams uh, in the kick return game. It seems like I think that there's an opportunity for Casey to take advantage in the passing game. You got to have Skylar Thompson be a little bit sharper though, than he was on Saturday because he just didn't seem like he was quite uh, maybe on the same page uh, either with what the, with the offensive coordinator for what the calls might've been coming from there or uh, just with his wide receivers. But I think you have a couple of different opportunities. K-State, as we've talked about, and as I've talked about plenty, it's an offense that's at its best when it's multiple. You like that term, don't you, D'Lo? 
Love like it. you love being multiple. So oh, yeah. K-State has to do a little a couple different things. I think one thing that I would really like to see out of what Cordy Messingham has dialed up, throwing the ball on play action on first down K-State oftentimes gets into a too predictable of a hand the ball off on first down, uh, you know, loading up either uh, Joe Irvin or Deuce Vaughn uh, on the ground on, on first down. Throw it out wide to the wide receivers, just on a little bubble screen. Bubble screen. Send somebody on on a jet sweep. Just kind of keep that variety going on. But I think a chance for play action uh, for the Wildcats on first down and just an early kind of passing downs. Maybe maybe it's first and first and ten. Maybe it's you know call it second and three. Having those kind of down and distances advantages, whether if it's on first down or second and short, uh, I think K State might be able to have some luck in the passing game. I agree. I mean, I think. I think this is a game that comes down to Skylar Thompson and, and his ability to be sharp in the passing game because at this point, we saw it against West Virginia where if a team really wants to clamp down on K-State's running game, they can. Uh, K-State's offense was pretty sharp that first drive where they were absolutely paving roads uh, for Deuce and Joe Irvin, but there are times throughout the game where that's just not there. Uh, where the running game gets to be predictable. The defense is predicting run and we run and it gets stuffed. And um, in those situations, we've done a pretty good job of it throughout the year this year, but in those situations, we really just need to be able to be sharp in the passing game and find the open guys and get the ball to them. And above all else, you can't have the near misses that end up in turnovers like we saw uh, on Saturday against West Virginia that uh, they just want yeah. to advantage of. Um, so I think, I, I think this feels like a game to me where uh, Thompson senior day, you know, it, it's a game, his last time playing at Fort Snyder. Um, and if it, it, it just feels like a game that if K-State wants to win it, they're going to have to put up 30 points or so. And uh, um and I think the only way K-State gets there is if Skylar Thompson is thrown for 200, 240 yards or something like that. And so um, he needs to play clean football and, and find the open guy and, and not have the silly mistakes like we saw on Saturday because I don't think K-State can afford those against Baylor. No, I, I, I think that's a – I think the, the story of the game for both teams is shockingly similar, right? I think – both teams want to come in here. They want to run the ball. Both teams want to come in here. They want to play stingy defense. Both teams want to come in here and, uh, you know, really kind of impose their will and play their style of football. Both teams are going to be able to do a little bit of that, right? I mean, both teams have kept good defense. You know, Felix Anaduke, Uzama is going to be able to get pressure on Bohannon, you know, uh, that Baylor uh, is going to be keen on Deuce Vaughn uh, as a guy that's not going to be able to, uh, to to beat him on that day. I think this game often comes down to who makes the mistakes and who who's uh, going to be more confident back there as the trigger man. And with Skylar Thompson playing a, a senior day at home, that can kind of go against the guy in a way, right? You know, coming out maybe a little too amped up, uh, you know, with it being the final time you, you get to play in front of your home fans. Uh, you know, that's something to keep an eye on because I think that's something that, that is, uh, you know, that that's a common thing that you see, whether if it's in football or whether if it's in basketball, 
maybe a little bit more in basketball because you can kind of really see how much it gets guys worked up because uh, you can see their faces a little bit easier than through a helmet. But, you know, I think that's something to keep an eye on is really if you if you tell me if I can only look at one stat uh, for who's going to win this ball game, it's going to be looking at that quarterback line and saying who who might have an interception here or who might have only, you know, you know, maybe wasn't so effective uh, being efficient. Maybe, you know, they're 13 for 30, something like that, you know, whatever that might look like. But whoever I think makes the least amount of mistakes in this game from the quarterback position is, is who's going to be your winner. Might not be, the, might not be the most uh, revolutionary line of thinking, but in a game like this where you have two very similar style teams, two very, um, I think equally matched teams. I think just the decision-making from the quarterback position and not necessarily who's going to make the biggest plays, but who's going to make the fewest mistakes uh, really dictates the winner in this one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Icon, do you have a score prediction for us? You know, Dilo, I usually let you lead off on this, but you know what? If you don't mind, I think I might like to take a first shot here. How does that sound? Yeah, I think that sounds great. Go for it, Icon. Okay, well, you know, this is a game that, as I mentioned, for me, I think it's one of the bigger games that K-State has played. And I was trying to think back to win, right? So I was thinking Iowa State this year, yeah, that was a big game, but Iowa State wasn't – a lot of the shine had kind of fallen off their season. They had already dropped out of the top 25. Still a big game for K-State, but just doesn't quite have that shine that you would, you know, maybe have thought it might have coming into the season. So then I go back to the, you know, the OU games, uh, you know, that Kleiman has upset uh, the Sooners in. You have those, but those don't really, those don't really, you know, maybe, maybe stick out as much. I don't really know when the last time that, that K-State is welcoming a top 10 team where you think that they have a, that K-State's favored in the game. I mean, when was the last time that a top team or a top, you know, 15 team came into the bill K-State being unranked for, at, at, at that. And, uh, and the Wildcats are favored, albeit slightly. I don't know when the last time that was. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been a really long time. Um, I, yeah, that, that's a great piece of trivia right there. The last time K-State was favored against the top uh, 15 team. I think I might know the answer. And I don't know if they were top – I don't think they were top 15. I know they were top 25, and I know K-State wasn't ranked was in, in 2014, or not 2014, excuse me, 2013 against Oklahoma. Oklahoma came into the bill, uh, that Trevor Knight team that went on to upset Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, before they kind of got rolling, that was a late, I mean, that was a late uh, November game. Kind of right, right, right around the same time this game is. Blistering cold wind out of the north. and uh, But Casey was a five-point favorite going into that game. And uh, they ended up losing that game on the field to, to the Sooners that day. But in terms of kind of when that's the last time I can remember kind of a situation similar to this in terms of uh, kind of what that situation looks like from an odds making standpoint. But in terms of kind of how much I've been looking forward to this game, I don't know if it approaches. Um, I don't know if it approaches this level in terms of big. I can tell you for a fact, it doesn't approach uh, levels in terms of, anticipation but in terms of what i've been most looking forward to since this game it's probably the 2014 auburn game at least from a home game perspective yeah yeah i'm trying to where, think where, where you think that casey legitimately has a has a really good chance of winning this ball game 
Like you can always look back at the Oklahoma game where, where they, um, you know, upset the Sooners back in, in 2019. But I mean, I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams really thought we were going to win that game. So with K-State coming in here as, as a very live, uh, maybe either as a short underdog or a, as a short favorite here, uh, you really have to feel like you like the Wildcats chances. And Dila, for my prediction, I'm taking the Wildcats in this one. I'm taking the Wildcats 31 to 24 over the Baylor Bears. And it's going to be a game that, I think Skylar Thompson lets it all hang out there. You're going to see, love it. You're going to see, you're going to see number seven running the football a little bit more than you have in, um, in, in past weeks, you know, with his injury, uh, you know, there was all, all this talk, you know, about, Oh, they really have to be careful w- with what Skylar Thompson's going to be doing on the ground. But, you know, even in games against, uh, Oh gosh, who was it? Who did he have that rushing touchdown against here recently? It was it was far from a thing of beauty uh, as he kind of scooted it in there. Um, Want to say maybe that was yeah, against, he had one uh, against TCU. TCU. I think it was against TCU where he he scoots on in, and you know I don't think he's going to be asked to run the ball a whole lot. But I think maybe a couple of runs that he has in this game, especially maybe down inside the twenty yard line, might be the difference in this one. So I'm liking the Cats 31 at 24 over the Baylor Bears. And K-State finishes off the home season with a win as they send out, uh, out this senior class uh, with a chance to still win 10 games uh, before, uh, before they uh, put the, uh, the final uh, page in the chapter uh, of the 2021 Wildcats. Yeah, I like it, Icon. It's a good job by you. Thank you, Dell. What do you, what do you, well, now, what say you, big fella? Well, you know, Baylor has a – has played two conference games on the road since uh, they're they've played only two conference games on the road out of their last um, sheesh. How many games is this uh, out of their last six? Two of them have been on the road. Uh, they lost them both icon. They lost to Oklahoma state 24 to 14 and at TCU just two weeks ago. Yes, they, they lost to Texas Christian, in which was, you know, the week after, you know, they fired Gary Patterson. Yeah, they fired Hugh Patty. There. Yeah, definitely uh, a, a shocker there in Fort Worth. A shocker in the stockyards. Yeah, a sh- in the shockyards. Um, Chandler Morris in that game, the young TCU uh, quarterback taking over from Young Trigger Man. Yeah, uh, threw for 460 yards. Uh, tacked on 70 more on the ground for Chandler Morris. Um, Baylor is not a great road team this year, and and sometimes that happens. Bears don't travel. Bears don't travel, that's right. Bears don't travel. You've heard it here first on the short side option, folks. And don't forget, uh, they played a game down in San Marcos against the Bobcats at Texas State. Well... You know, you don't saunter into San Marcos and come out, you know, smelling like, you know, sunshine and roses. That That's going to be a dogfight for 60 minutes down there. Yeah, well, it, it kind of was. I mean, Baylor only wins that game by nine. Uh, it was a 14-10 to 10 game at halftime. Uh, in a 27-20 to 20 game, uh, they're kind of uh, in the final minutes. And so, um, you know, they're, they're not great on the road. So I think uh, it'll be important for K-State to kind of take advantage of that, 
see if they can rattle Bohan in a little bit and uh, see if we can uh, get their offense sputtering um, a little bit as they enter Fort Snyder. Now, having said that, I think this Baylor team's pretty darn good. You think uh, they're pretty salty? Yeah, I think they're. I think their rushing offense is is going to be a hassle. I think uh, K State's rushing defense this year has been suspect at times. Um, I think guys like Timmy Horn, Cody Fletcher, uh, and Stubbs they're going to have to have their working boots on because they're going to be getting a, a heavy dose of the Bears' run game. Um, and I like them. I, I think I think Baylor is a pretty uh, pretty darn good team this year. Um, defensively, I think they're really good too. Uh, I, you know, they can, they certainly shut down a, a pretty dynamic Oklahoma offense, uh, earlier this year, but, uh, or, or, uh, yeah, I guess just last week, but you know, they've, they've given up points to some of these heavy run offenses. They, I mean, gave up 29 to Iowa state, uh, lost to Oklahoma state. Um, Texas Bijan Robinson. What did he run against him? Um, you know, he had. Uh, I'm gonna look that uh, up. Never mind, they completely shut down Bijan Robinson. I was gonna say he had a kind of tough slide. Like Texas or uh, Baylor, rather, on the other hand, they haven't given up much on the ground. I mean, really, uh, throughout the season. So, I mean, K State's gonna have to play their best game possibly of the season, uh, offensively in this one to uh to get it done i mean this yeah, this bit Brees hall Brees hall ran for 190 yards Brees hall Brees hall is probably the lone exception here uh to really what baylor's given up on the ground you know i'm looking through some of their stats it, it's it's pretty darn impressive um I've, I've got their passing stats pulled up now but when i look at what they've done you know rushing defense wise uh I, i'm just gonna look at conference games I mean, they're they're allowing under three and a half yards a carry. Um, you know, it, it's a team like I've said that. I mean, they gave up they gave up two hundred over two hundred yards rushing twice this season to Iowa State, Brees Hall, and Oklahoma State. In uh, there in since that Oklahoma State game, uh, which is. Um, which they lost uh, to, to the Pokes 24 to 14. They've given up 90 yards on the ground, 67 yards on the ground, 102 to Texas, 94 to TCU in a loss, and then 82 last week to the Sooners. So pretty darn stingy. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. I, I, I don't, I don't think this matchup uh, is super favorable to K-State. And that's why I think it's, it's going to come down to Skylar Thompson. And him being just super sharp, I, I think K State uh, comes up short in this one. Icon, I, 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 I'm a little, I scratch my head a little bit at the line. I, I hope I'm wrong, um, but this game to me feels like uh, like a 28 to 24, 28 21. I'll go, uh, I'll go 28 to 21. Baylor wins by a touchdown, um, but you know what? If K-State can find a way to get some of those special teams plays they had against West Virginia, a big kickoff return here, uh, a punt return there, uh, some kind of block, then that totally changes things. Um, if K-State can win the turnover battle, that certainly changes things too. Um, but I, uh, I I have Baylor winning this one uh, in the range of about seven points. I'll say 28-21. to 21. 28-21, 21, 
for the Baylor Bears for Dell, 31-24 for Kansas State for the icon here. And, you know, Dilo, I want to just kind of also mention this too. I think this game reminds me of, of, of two games. I'm going to give you one. It's against the same team too. I'm going to give it one as a win and one as a loss. If K-State wins this game, I think it looks kind of similar to that 2019 Iowa State game minus the just brutal conditions outside. should be actually a very nice, pleasant day uh, in Manhattan for this game. But just a game that where K-State's kind of just being the more physical team, makes a couple plays, whether if it's in the, you know, in, in that 2019 game against Iowa State, it was more in the special team side of, side of uh, the ball. Not so much maybe the, the throwing the ball. I think we might have had only like 60 yards passing that entire game against Iowa State. Uh, but just being the more physical team, making the big plays when needed. And uh, Iowa State had some crucial turnovers in that game. Yes. Uh, in, for if K-State you know, loses this game, what I think it looks a lot like is the Iowa State game this year where K-State just doesn't have an answer uh, for, for Brees Hall uh, as they did against um, – as they did against them this year. And uh, Abram Smith is able to, to run wild. Uh, Tristan Ebner is able to, to, to do his thing as well. Uh, and also too, you saw like with, uh, with Brock Purdy this year, uh, Jerry Bohannon can move around a little bit too. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the, what it looks like if K-State loses probably is what, I think those are two games, even against uh, the same team there that I think can kind of paint a picture of what it might, uh, might look like on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are two pretty apt comparisons, but I think for, probably for the first time this year, you and I are, are differing on a, uh, on a game and. Um, yeah. So. Well, you know, when we look back at it, you know, we both had the cats going eight and four. We, we uh, consensusly had them losing to Oklahoma was the only one. That's the only team that we, we had them for sure losing to where we both agreed on. You had them losing. Oh, before the season. Yes. Before the season, before the season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had them losing to gosh, I had them losing to Oklahoma state, Oklahoma. I had um, us losing to Western Virginia. I had us losing to Texas Christian. And then we both, Oh, actually I take that back. We both had us had them losing to Texas. So that might tell you how much we know if we had, uh, if we thought Texas was going to be any good this year. So uh, there you have it. Well, that'll do it here kind of for the um, for the Baylor preview. Baylor 28-21 says Dell. Kansas State 31-24 over the Bears says me. So that will do it here for the Baylor preview portion of the podcast. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back to answer your questions in our Ask the Icon segments. And we'll also highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends with another uh, page authored here by Dilu as he highlights another in what has been a, a great series for us here on the short side option. And that, of course, is this week's Wildcat legends. Join us after the break, folks. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. You're on with Dell, the icon, the icon and Dell. And now we're going to get into a segment that we call this week's Wildcat Legend. And icon, this week's Wildcat Legend hails 
from Montebello High School in Montebello, California. He graduated in the 1999 class at Montebello. Okay. Came to Kansas State his first year getting any PT was in 2001. Now, hey, re- re- I, we're, we're, folks, I just want to, and I don't think we even mentioned this beforehand. We're doing this via Zoom, and I think you might have cut out. What, what hometown did, did, did you say? Montebello. In state? Montebello, California. Wow. Okay. All I'm right. racking my brain here. Going right. through. I graduated in the class of 99. Okay. Okay. Uh, and came to K-State, saw some playing time as a wide receiver in 2001. Only had two games. But one of those games was against New Mexico State, where he had a reception, touchdown reception, of 72 yards. Can't, I, I don't know whether that was Mark Dunn who threw that or L. But, oh, so that was 2000. You said 2002? For, oh, or I'm sorry, 2001. So it had to be 2001. L. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, it had uh, to be L. It was always time 72 yard touchdown reception from L. Roberson. That, you know, if I remember correctly, in that in that uh, game against New Mexico State, uh, we kind of ran it up on him a little bit. Uh, two thousand one New Mexico State. Yeah, you know, yeah, we we. we I kind of remember it being good. a bit of a barn burn. Y- you know, I think you might be you might be misremembering possibly. Oh, I, I take it back. K State won sixty four to nothing. They sure did. So, uh, so it was a uh, fifty to nothing at the break. Oh, well, you know, right there. Yeah, right there. And also, by the way, you know, two thousand one, Mark Dunn was there. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So let me yeah. let me look real quick. Uh, but the pass was thrown by L. Roberson. Okay, L. Roberson to Mark Dunn for the t- or L. Roberson. Well, that would that would have been quite the connection. L. Roberson to this week's Wildcat Legend for the uh, right. That capped off a four play, ninety eight yard touchdown drive. Wow, it lasted uh, twenty four seconds. Explosive. Yeah. Uh, Travis Brown kicked the PAT. Um, but that's that's not where his career ended. Okay. Uh, he saw quite a bit of playing time in two thousand two. Okay, uh, his uh, high receiving game of, of his career came in 2002 against Western Kentucky, where he had three receptions for 74 yards. And you know, that had- Western Kentucky game, season opener, we debuted some new AstroTurf, big time stuff going on in Manhattan that week. Absolutely. Yeah, that was big yeah, time was- stuff. Um, I just remember how like how odd it looked. Like that was the first thing that I remember for that game is like the point of Western Kentucky, you know, they're obviously noted for, for big red, the, their mascot. Yeah. Right? The Hilltopper, the Hilltopper. And, but I just remember being like, you know, you've got this like lime green is not the right, but like, if you ever see like a really like ripe lime, like that's kind of yeah. what the AstroTurf kind of looked like prior to right. And then this the, looks like the new turf looked a lot like furrier. Yeah, it looked very furry. It looked quite soft, actually. And I'm sure it yeah. was quite soft compared to the uh, to the the old one. Um, the, the game against Southern California in 2002. 
he had a reception in that game for eight yards, which was uh, very nice. Much needed. Yeah, much needed. Um, and really, I'd say that the biggest game of his career um, came against Arizona State, mm. where he had two receptions for 37 yards, including a receiving touchdown. His, uh, his second and a final touchdown of his career uh, for Kansas State. Um, do you have any? Do you have any uh, thoughts on who I'm talking about, Mr. Icon? I've got it, baby. Do you? Who are we talking about? You're talking about Derek Evans. Absolutely, I'm talking about Derek Evans. And you know, we've kind of talked about his accolades here, but a, a pretty steady hand in the receiving game. Not the never the feature. Uh, receiver for K-State, but a really talented guy and a guy who came up with some big catches at uh, opportune times. You know, the... <laughs> to say about Derek Evans icon? Yeah, you know, obviously the big play everyone remembers, the slam pass in the, in the, uh, in the Holiday Bowl against Arizona State in a game that K-State kind of slept walk through in typical K-State bull fashion. Uh, you know, a big time favorite in that game against uh, a, a pretty talented Arizona State team. I believe Andrew Walter was your quarterback. Terrell Suggs, of course, was a, a menace out on the edge. Um, you know, a team that had some guys that went on and played the next level, no question about it, talented team. But, you know, you look at what K-State did in that game, just kind of, you know, coming out flat, Arizona State gets out to a nice lead. K-State, you know they're the better team. You know they're going to find a way to, as they did throughout that season, find a way to usually, you know, come back and, and lean on that defense to get back into the game and and just wait for the offense to make enough plays. And, you know, you had Terrence Newman out there running some running some uh, fly routes out there at the wide receiver position to kind of jumpstart the offense. Uh, but you, what you remember that about that game here is K-State's driving for the final drive and, um, you know, they get a big pass interference call uh, down kind of close to the end zone uh, to get to get in uh, to, to have an opportunity to win the game here. Uh, James Terry draws the pass interference. And uh, then uh, then Derek Evans uh, scores the game winning touchdown in case it's able to hold on uh, for the final about minute and a half uh, to, to close out that game and, and get a, a nice win. Uh, move the K-State, I believe, to, to an 11 win season there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was a uh, man. You're right. That 2002 Holiday Bowl game, that, that seemed like a game that K-State was going to just uh, roll through and it was a, a tougher task than uh, I think a lot of people expected, but uh, sure enough, L. Roberson to Derek Evans. It's a, it's an iconic uh, connection there. And uh, it's just moments like that. And um, really his entire career at K-State that makes Derek Evans this week's wildcat legend. And icon, um, we're going to go ahead and get into our final segment on the show. Okay. So- call ask the icon i'm familiar with it yes yeah this is the one where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options very own chris the icon sork and he'll read them he'll he'll will we'll read well, i won't read them i'll answer them you'll read them i'll answer them. how's that sound does that sound okay <laughs> that seems fair okay you said because I, I, I i gotta be fair here Dell. come on now 
Yeah, the, the listener submits the questions. Dell reads the questions. Icon answers, okay? And listeners can submit their questions uh, to the short side option via Twitter by tweeting them at us at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the famous hashtag ask the icon or by um, by buying a postcard and, and mailing them to us. Um, that's another way. So figure out our address, uh, write your question on a piece of paper or postcard. Uh, don't forget the stamp and drop it in the mailbox and the mailman will take it right on over to, to the short side option studios and we'll read them. Uh, our questions this week all came exclusively via Twitter, however, uh, and they start with, uh, I think a, maybe a first time question asker, Ryan Moss at PowerCat Ryan. I think he's gotten in the mix before. Now All this right. was this was a little bit different from him. You know, he's going out here, and I, you know we haven't even started soliciting questions for the Ask the Icon segment. But he's just firing away on us, and I love to I love see it. that. I love to see a guy that has that tenacious, uh, you know, spirit about him and is ready to fire away at a moment's notice. You'll you'll love to see that. Yeah, it's a it's a real go getter attitude where uh, you know you're not having to solicit. He's just kind of taking it on himself, and that's what we like to see here on the short side option. Okay, uh, Ryan says, "Dear hashtag Ask the Icon at TSSO underscore podcast." Wow, that's a full no mistake about that one. If Texas loses at West Virginia, do you think that program A waves the white flag on the season since they won't make a bowl game, or B? turns the K-State game into the Black Friday Bowl and gives it everything they have. You know, so let's assume let's assume that Texas loses this week. How okay. do you respond staring down the barrel of a uh, of a really a lame duck game where uh, it doesn't really mean anything for him? Dilo, I'm going to answer that question with asking you a question. When was the last time any Texas Longhorns team has showed an ounce of mental toughness? Boy, um, maybe that Elling, Ellinger team that uh, they won the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, maybe. The, and that was what, 2018? Um, yeah, 2018 season. 2000, yeah, 2018, 2019 season, 2018, I think. No, I, th- this is a team that's mailing it in. I mean, you, you heard the comments, maybe. I, I assume you heard the comments from, um, from uh, Steve Sarkeesian earlier in the week saying, yeah, we're going to have about, you know, we're, we're probably going to, you know, 86, so to speak. Uh, you know, 15, 20 guys off our roster and tell them they need to go play elsewhere because we need to overhaul this thing. Uh, Plans are being made, uh, let's just say, by probably a couple different parties here. Probably maybe some assistant coaches that maybe see this as a bit of a sinking ship. And probably some players that saying, I see this as a untenable situation, and I best get myself finding someplace else to go play football at. So if you're asking me if, if Texas, that's why I am excited to see how this game goes. Cause I think you get a little bit of a sneak peek at it on Saturday. I can't really envision a scenario in which Texas really brings an inspired effort. They might beat West Virginia, but you know, I think West Virginia is kind of in a similar spot. I don't think they've quit playing for Neil Brown, but I think some tempers are kind of getting a little bit short over there on that side. And it's been a tough season for the Mountaineers. 
But uh, with all be- things being kind of taken into consideration here, I don't really see much uh, in the way of a uh, – but finding – for Texas to be able to find a way to salvage these last two games and, and be able to parlay it into a bowl game, uh, it would be definitely a surprise to me. Yeah, no, I – you heard it here first. Uh, Texas, they, they're, uh, they're through. They're going to just hang it up. Um, if they lose to Western Virginia. By the way, who do you like in that one? Yeah, give me um, give me West Virginia that one. I like it. It's in Morgantown, so uh, yeah, give me West Virginia. I think they just have a little bit more to play for. I don't think they've mailed it in yet um, on the season. I thought they showed a little bit of heart uh, against K State. I think just kind of they couldn't get out of their own way, unfortunately. And if you know, if you turn the ball over, that's a great way to get a team believing that they're going to beat you. Uh, so. You know, team that turns the ball over less. I don't think Texas is going to show up in any mood to play on Saturday. I, I would I would take West Virginia in that one. Our next question comes from a listener at KSU underscore funny 33. JC Funny asks, hey, hashtag icon, could you please describe to the listeners in extreme detail your perfect plate of food on Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Also- also, feel free to describe dessert plates and second, third plates. Yeah, so I, I go I go very heavy on the staples on the first plate, and then I really just kind of repeat that essentially, but with a lesser amount uh, on the second plate. But we're go, we're going turkey. We're going dark meat on the turkey. We're going. Uh, we, we get it, we get it carved up. I'll, I'll go have like some, you know, like a white, white meat always, I think tastes a little bit better on a sandwich, but for me, right off the bird, give me, give me the, uh, give me the dark meat there, mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm getting the, getting the gravy on, on the Turkey as well. Stuffing green bean casserole. Um, not a big candied yams or sweet potato person. I'm leaving that off the side. Um, but that's going to be probably the, the, the two or three, well, mashed potatoes and gravy stuffing and a green bean casserole. Those are my three sides. Turkey takes up a huge part of that plate too. I mean, there's no, there's no room to breathe on this plate. I'm just going to let you know there's, it, it is, it is at max capacity, maybe standing room only. And, uh, we're, 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 we're doing it big on Thanksgiving again this year. And I uh, can't wait to uh, can't wait to uh, to take it all in, man. It's gonna be a, gonna be a lot of fun. Well, there you have it. The Turkey Day preview from the resident turkey of the Short Side Option podcast. Oh, you were you had that one stowed away for a while, didn't you, Deli? I sure did. Uh, next question also comes from KSU underscore Bunny thirty three. He asks, should Reggie Stubblefield have his name on the Ring of Honor and have his number retired? Absolutely, no question yeah. about it. Asked an answer. Asked an answer, baby. He's been he's been a dynamite player for the Cats this year, and uh, quite frankly, kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, let's 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 call it how it is. I don't think anyone really had much expectations for him, other than maybe being a reserve player, or maybe even being a guy that uh, was just going to be a special teams ace. You never knew. Um, But uh, you know, he uh, he's surpassed uh, you know any and all of our expectations for sure and he's been a uh, real joy here for uh, the Wildcats here in 2021. Cosine. Uh, next question comes from listener David Sabin at Sabination. 
He asks, in honor of Wildcat legend Matthew McCrane and his performance at the 2015 Alamo Bowl. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Could you execute a Rabona-style onside kick that successfully goes 10 to 15 yards? Now, I I think the Rabona is that little number where he – Oh, yeah. Kick it one day and then kind of kicks it behind his plant foot. So, Del, do you want me to break it down for you what a Rabona kick looks like? And I'll maybe maybe on the Short Side Options Twitter account uh, when we release this episode tomorrow morning, I'll maybe I'll throw a link to it because it's quite the it's quite the feat here. Um, is this is this something to do with the beautiful game? Um, I guess, yeah. I I'm not I really. I mean, it, it, it comes from soccer, I'm sure, as as most kicking techniques come from i would i would say um but so essentially how this works right so picture this you're looking behind the kicker okay so the kicker's butt's facing you here okay and he's kicking it here and his approach to the kick to kicking the the football he's set up to kick it to the left let's say this is a right-footed kicker okay he's set up to kick it to the left so what he does is his left foot, obviously his plant foot, he puts it down, he fakes like he's going to kick it, and then wraps his, uh, his it's going to be his left foot around his right foot to kick the ball to the other side, to the right side. So it's kind of a trickery there yeah. that takes place. He fakes so, it. I, no. I don't – he fakes – he pretends to fake. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, what I'll do is I'll link it out. It's, it's as impressive as it gets. Uh, now, unfortunately, I watched actually uh, that uh, 2015 Alamo Bowl uh, just the other day, and it was breaking down some film for that, uh, for a little project I've got working on here. And uh, that kick – Joe Tessitore was waxing poetic about that um, as, as something that – you know, he's been breaking now. So Joe Tessitore's child, his son, he kicked at Boston college here in the years following after that. So he was, he was up. So while this game was taking place, his son was in high school and he was going to kicking camps. And so Joe T he's got kicking on the mind. So he's, he's breaking down. He's a scholar of kicking. And uh, he says, man, I've, I've, I've seen it all now. This is, this is, this is, you know, new territory level. for me. So Matt McCrane, great kicker for the Wildcats. I'll tell you what. Chris Tennant better get it together. He is a uh, much better. I'm a little, I'm a little, well, I was glad that we got that last possession where he could kick one so he could end on a make, but I'm telling you, I've seen what an unconfident kicker looks like. He's got that look right now. Yeah, we need to get uh, through this season and get him uh, feeling good. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Has there ever been a Wildcat legend that's come out of retirement? (laughs) Do you mean? I'm just asking. Has there ever been a Wildcat legend that we've honored as a Wildcat legend that has come back to play for the Wildcats at a later time? The legend returns. The legend returns. 
The Hall could of Fame we, can wait. Could we could we maybe see a um a um a return from from a legend and that of course is is our guy Tate Winkle. Could, could that be something yeah. in the cards maybe in years in weeks maybe years to come I don't know. I don't know, but uh something to keep an eye on. No question about that. Uh great question from uh Save a Nation. Next question comes from listener Rod Melson at Nelson Rod. Look at Rod getting into the action here on the short set. I love it. I love it. What's Rod he got? Asks, How fortunate are we at K-State? Because Deuce Vaughn would be starting, would be a starting running back for any team in the country. Don't know if he'd be a starting back for any team in the country, but he'd be he'd get a play a lot at about any place he went. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say there's probably 10, 15 teams that he wouldn't be the feature back in. But, I mean, you know he'd still be playing. I mean, yeah. guy, guys as versatile as it gets. You know, so wanted to take this opportunity. So maybe you haven't seen the news yet. Maybe, uh, maybe you just saw it maybe early this morning. Uh, but Deuce Vaughn announces a semifinalist for the Doak Walker Award. I think he's one of like 10 or 12 semifinalists before they make the final cut here in another two weeks. But, you know, is he going to win the award? Probably not. It's probably going to get a Walker from Michigan State. Um, who's well-deserved, by the way. Uh, he's having a ter- terrific season. But Deuce Vaughn, when you look at the total package, I mean, a guy that not only runs the ball for tough yards between the tackles, which we've seen him do this year. I mean, he's an every down back. I mean, really. We, we, we have the option to, of course, have Joe uh, Cannonball Joe get in there. And, uh, you know, he'll go Cannonball for 10 yards every now and then. Uh, but, uh, you know, what he do, what, what Deuce Vaughn does uh, in the passing game for K-State probably can't really be replicated by any other running back in the country. I mean, if there is one, I, I haven't seen him. And, yeah. um, you know, with what he does for K-State, uh, he, he's been a tremendous player. So Rod's point's well taken. I mean, to, to have two guys, I mean – and it's not like K-State's just some mecca of, of football talent that comes out of here that just it oozes out our noses or anything like that. But to, in, our, in our lifetimes, to get a watch, two kind of tran, transcendent running backs with Deuce Vaughn and Darren Sproles in terms of just their, their size. We've also got to see Daniel Thomas uh, in the mix, too, although only for two years. But four years of, of, of Darren Sproles and in hopefully four years of uh, Deuce Vaughn. Um, I mean, give me gosh, five. Give me five. Get, give me as long as you can, man, because he's he's been a joy to watch. And and I said this today uh, when I when I I got word of uh, of Deuce's uh, candidacy for the the Doug Walker Award. He deserves any sort of accolades and attention he has coming his way. He's done a uh, he has done a, a terrific job this season for K State and really belongs upon among the uh the elite running backs in the country no question about it absolutely uh next question comes from listener bob trollsby at email Lorite laredo email laredo okay reading uh, between the lines here maybe a uh, a rocky mountain cat could be could or, be uh, tough to see tough to say or or maybe from el dorado uh out city of gold 
uh, in any event, he asks, what did you think of friend Brian Haney's call of the KU Texas game? And asks if he's going to be on the show to speak about it. Well, you know, I, I saw this kind of come through the wire and, you know, we weren't able to get BH on in such short notice. He's got, I mean, he's a busy guy, right? You he's know, he's a busy guy. He's, he's got a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot on his plate, but I mean, and, and I don't want to get too far into it because I know it's stuck in the craw maybe of, of some Icon? people. Hey, yeah. Do you hear something? Somebody at the door? Yeah. Hey, let me here. I, I don't know how to pause this thing. Let me, let me go grab it real quick. All right. Oh, Icon. Holy were, BH, were your, were your ears burning, my man? What's going on? I, I heard somebody had a question for me. And boy, am I riding high after that enormous Kansas Jayhawk W in the 40 acres. Well, a BH, I mean, I've, I've good show, Brian. It's great to see you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's great. Thank you so much for stopping by BH. You know, it's, it's great to see you, you know, your, your calls kind of gone, kind of gone viral, man. It was all over social media on, on Saturday night, on Sunday morning, even kind of going out throughout the early part of this next week. Um, obviously a big win for KU, obviously, you know, a, it was uh, a big win for KU and a, and a, and a big personal uh, win for, for Brian Haney, because as you mentioned, my, my call's gone viral and kind of the, uh, kind of the bell of the ball here across the college football landscape this week. Well, you know, it's important to look out for number one, BH. I've always said <laughs> yeah. that to you. You know, I mean, That's... you gotta, it, it, no one else is going to, I'll tell you that much. Uh, That's so, right. So, you know, uh, looking now, KU got another offer. They've got an opportunity to what you guys might not be too familiar with this down there. That's called a winning streak down in Lawrence uh, with, with a chance to, uh, to run it to two in a row this week against uh, TCU. Well, the Longhorns have been struck, or excuse me, the Horde Frogs. There's a lot of horns with these uh, Texas teams. <laughs> yeah, you know, does that factor into the calculus maybe for kind of what your, what your prognosis is here I, for the Saturday? Yeah, I, I would think it. I would think it should. Well, I got, of course it does. You know, K, KU this season is now 1-0 against Horned Mascots. And we've I, th- I think that that will play a big part in the game this weekend. It's something uh, I have factored in. And, of course, we know Coach Lance Leipold uh, has factored it, it in as well. And I told you a couple weeks ago, Lance gives you a chance, Icon. And, and he gave KU the chance for that enormous, historic two-point conversion against – Really, the the uh, the bell cow of the Big Twelve, and, and yeah, because of Bevo, of course. Yeah, so, yeah, of course. You know, um, they're they're really the uh, blue chip program of the conference, and to see KU, the Jayhawks, go down there and break the conference road losing streak was truly a treat for old BH here. Well, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a tremendous ball game and a, and a tremendous call. Let, let's let's just let's get that out of the way. Let's let let let's, I don't want to bury that lead because that's really the lead is your call on this one. And, Absolutely. Uh, hey, Icon, I got to go. Bye. Uh, okay. Hey, BH. He, <laughs> he, you know what? I I think he was off to go read his press clippings. You know, and that can get a guy in trouble. 
that can get a guy in trouble. So yeah. I don't I, – I, I know BH and, you know, he's obviously – I saw him carrying out a – he had a copy of the Journal World in his uh, pocket. So I he must just be reading uh, some uh, Jesse Newell articles about uh, about the game on Saturday. So, hey, yeah. You, you don't want to see his nose buried in the in the press clippings too much because they got a big one against TCU this weekend. Yeah, you know you're absolutely right. But hey, it was it was it was terrific to see BH just drop in. I mean, he knows where the studio is, and you know, and of course, you know, for BH, I mean, the door's always open. Absolutely. Well, although he did knock, he did, he did. I I wouldn't expect that level of formality from him, especially with him <laughs> riding so high. But hey, you know, at least maybe maybe that serves as a good. Uh, as good of reflection, I guess, to say that, hey, this guy hasn't let it completely go to his head yet. Exactly. Uh, anyway, it, a, a great question by uh, Bob Trolls. Um, Our final two questions this week come from listener Tyler8 at TH8 underscore. First one is, hey, Icon, who should we can this week? Hashtag ADI. So is anybody on the chopping block? Yeah, I don't think so, really. No, I'm fine. I, I'm fine with not canning anyone for at least this week. Anyone yeah. you want to can? Uh, well, hell, let's uh can Dave Aranda. Let's uh, now got- he, I think he might be. He may very well with the news of Mel Tucker getting paid quite handsomely to potentially stay at Michigan State. Uh, of course might have been a target for a Louisiana state uh, to fill their head coaching vacancy. Dave Aranda would make a lot of sense there. Uh, defensive coordinator of the uh, LSU national championship team just a couple seasons ago. Would it would be, uh, would seemingly make a lot of sense uh, for uh, the Tigers to go that route. So be interesting to see how much longer uh, Dave Aranda finds himself in, uh, in central Texas. But uh, nobody in your crosshairs this week. no, no, no one. I mean, but hey, don't get comfortable. Well, I don't get comfortable. I, you know, actually, you know, I. It wouldn't be me, but it, it, it's not a K State. But I'll tell you, I. Maybe they should fire Steve Sarkeesian. In Texas. That'd be a pretty quick trigger. Yeah. We need to fire Gene. Gene needs to go. I, you know, yeah. I, I could get on board with that. I, that, that that's never a but you know i i have to be fair i have to be fair he um he doesn't really seem like he does much but he he's best friends with the head football coach that's going to win us maybe nine ten games this season hey staff friends in high places i've always said that i guess so so, yeah. uh, you know, but he's just kind of riding on CK's coattails and uh, for the time being. But, uh, hey, moments notice, man. You, you don't get too comfortable around me. We always say climb and wash his jeans on these. But maybe, maybe <laughs> the other way around. Who does? Uh, Tough to say. Um, no one really knows. Yeah. Um, the final question this week, it comes from uh, Tyler H. as well. He asks, yo, Icon. Will you be podcasting during what is shaping up to be a very exciting basketball season? And why do you think we should can Bruce immediately? I think that that second part, I thought he, I think he thought it would just be funny to say something silly. I thought Uh, maybe he thought it'd be cool to 
like talk about canning people. Yeah, well, Bruce, he is safe as a Supreme Court judge, if you ask me. So uh, I'm I. Uh, but to answer his first question, so I'm not going to even dignify uh, really his second question any further with with uh, more dialogue on that. But what I will say this is. In terms of what the short side option is going to do uh, during basketball season, yeah, it's not going to be every week. I'll tell you that much. It's probably going to be more no. on a uh, maybe a monthly. We'll check in. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll be around. You know where we'll to find grinding. us. Yeah, we'll, we'll be grinding. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we, well, we'll we just spend most of our off season in the the film room. Yeah, I just I just I have a projector in my office. Uh, I wish I could turn my computer around, but I just don't know how to. Uh, to be able to, to let everyone see that, uh, you know, as we're, as we're here on Zoom, um, which you don't know how to turn your computer around. I, no, I don't know how to. I, I, I'm too busy watching film to know how to do that. Oh, yeah. OK, but uh, I've got my projector. I've got my clicker uh, and I've got, you know, just reels of all 22 film to uh, to, to to review. So and don't forget I, the uh, pot of coffee up there. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, speaking of coffee, did you see, see what our guy D Scott tweeted today? No, I didn't. He said he tried uh, getting into the stadium, you know, where he works at. Uh, he tried getting in with his, with his, like his, uh, his, his car keys. Like he tried with his fob to get in there. And he said, and I said, uh, the immediate reaction was like, Hey, do you get another cup of coffee? Man, you need one. <laughs> You know, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing here, brother? So That's awesome. Yeah. Man, the um, institution. Yeah, you love to see it from D. Um, okay, so D uh so D Lou from D Scott to D Lou. I gotta I gotta get you on the spot here for Dell's Tells here. And uh for Dell Tells, big week in the Big 12, man. I mean, we got we got teams fighting for a whole different bunch of things, right? We've got Oklahoma yeah. State fighting for the you know, spot in CFP, spot in Ar- at spot in Arlington, uh, with a win, I believe they clinch uh, a, a trip to Arlington. KU, TCU, TCU fighting for bowl eligibility. Same thing with West Virginia and Texas, Iowa State, Oklahoma. Iowa State still, I think, this, in the outside. This was kind of supposed to be the preseason game of the season. Yeah, it kind of was kind of was um, with, you know, Iowa State had, you know, college football playoff aspirations, as did Oklahoma. Those seem to be by the wayside for both teams, obviously for Iowa State, but seemingly for Oklahoma as well as they find themselves all the way down at 13. But Oklahoma State really seems to be the Big 12's best shot at getting a team to the playoff. And it seems like the path is there for them. I mean, if they go out and win out, they probably want Oklahoma to win against o- uh, Iowa State to really kind of keep them propped up, and then they need to beat them twice, which you know it's gonna be tough for Oklahoma State to do. But if ever there's a season that it seems like Oklahoma has been kind of flying pretty close to the sun, and you know Oklahoma State, I mean they've just been mauling people here as of late, like they have been yeah. taking it to people. I mean. Their their closest game. I mean, they lost to Iowa State, but since then they whooped up on KU fifty five three. They totally shut down West Virginia twenty four to three, 
and then uh, just mollywopped uh, Texas Christian 63 to 17. So this is a team that's really hitting their stride here at, at the right time of the year. Uh, now they're going to, they're going to Lubbock for a night game and that's not an easy spot to go play at, especially with the Texas tech team. That's kind of energized right now. Uh, they just punched their ticket to a bowl game. Um, hey, hey, and I come not for nothing, but I, I seem to recall, uh, well, I guess it was two or three weeks ago when we were talking about Texas Tech's remaining schedule. Yeah, and, uh, I said, said no they, chance. You said no chance. No chance. They're absolutely 100% losing out. They're losing their next four. I said that. That's true. Well, well they beat Iowa State, so I guess looks like Dell was right. Yeah, I guess it does, huh? Yeah, I guess Dell Del, Del tells Dell tells what's what, huh? Yep. Yep. So, uh, so Mr. Dell, uh, how do you see these games in the Big Twelve going this week? Boy, um, we've already hit on. You've already. You don't. You don't think K State has a chance? You don't even think they should even bother showing up against Baylor? No, I think that's what you said. You said game. you said just they just don't the even. Game. Don't even want them to show up. Don't even want to put up. Baylor just rolls their helmets out. They beat K-State, according to you. Yep. So that I, kind of takes care of that one. Uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma, who you got there? I got the Sooners in that one. Um, big? No, not big. No, not big. Okay. I do think – I mean, uh, that game is one that wouldn't surprise me if it went either way, but but I'd probably take OU in a tight one. Boy, okay. I, I have no idea what to make of this Texas-West Virginia game. Um you know, total toss up. I mean, the both both those games are are. I mean, I like Oklahoma too. Probably in that game with it being at home and Iowa State just seemingly kind of. You wonder where they're at mentally right now after their Big Twelve uh, title shots. You just kind of wonder what kind of headspace. You wonder what kind of headspace. What's all about? Is that really, uh, they they continue their journey on the island here? Well, um, you know, you wonder if it's a headspace of togetherness. Well, you sure hope so. And then I'll be interested to see what Texas looks like with that B. John Robinson in the backfield and whether it's Tom, Casey Thompson or Hudson Card uh, taking most of the snaps on Saturday um, because this Texas team without B. John Robinson just feels like totally a team that lacks any identity. Um, but uh, we'll see if they bounce back after the uh, historic and humiliating loss they faced the hands of KU at home last weekend. Um KU and TCU, you know, KU uh, has had TCU's numbers uh, at various points throughout the last decade or so. They've had their number, but they haven't beat them. No, but they've there have been some close games. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, yeah, and also I, I seem to remember uh, Texas Christian holding the KU to like nine yards of total offense throughout an entire game. Yeah. So they've also had KU's number, too. you got to be fair. That's all I'm saying, Dell. Yeah. They got each other's numbers. Um, I wonder how. Yeah, in the, in, sorry to interrupt you here, but and I, I don't want to go back to talking. I don't want to make his head too much bigger. But I was really hoping we could have got a prediction out of BH uh, before he just kind of just jetted off on us. I was kind of hoping he could maybe break down the uh, the KU TCU game for us, but you know, places to be apparently for him, but uh, yeah, that would have been, that would have been pretty nice. Hold on. Somebody's knocking at my door. Oh, it's me, Brian Haney. <laughs> Brian, back. Brian, how, how did you know we we're, what is going on here, man? 45 like, to 30 rock shock. Gotta go. Okay. Okay. Wow. 
ask and answered, man. He he yeah. delivers and he delivers anytime. That's that's what that's what it's all about for BH, man. Coming through in the clutch, big game at night to cap off the you big twelve. Were, the big hey, twelve. Oh, go ahead. Icon, what's the prediction? The icon's got a prediction. That's right, baby. He 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 dials it up and and uh, it's folks. That's why he's you know one of the best. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, but, but hey, but for Dell tells this week, I just want to highlight uh, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, what a weird hire at the time, and it's not that weird hire at the time, but not. I don't know. Like, this is the thing: is this Texas job is seemingly mired in just muck, right? Like, just nothing can go right. It's you get, you bring in Charlie Strong, who extremely well respected coach, very good at Louisville, has big time chops. Is uh you know led a national championship winning defense at Florida. This guy is as groomed as you could look for 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 a coach. Now, obviously, it didn't work out. Now you bring in Tom Herman. Had tons of success at Houston. Pretty green, though. Only had coached like three years as a head ball coach. But offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Big time chops. I mean, all these – I mean, you see the kind of pattern I'm going on here. They've all had big time chops at huge universities as the, the second guy, the offensive or defensive coordinator. They go yeah. and they have some success at the group of five level. That seems to be a, a, a an attractive candidate. Now you have Steve Sarkeesian, right? Goes to Washington, get gets gets on there after being the offensive coordinator a long time at USC. Goes to Washington, has some modest success. I mean, he inherited a, a pretty rough program. Has some modest success. He jumps ship to go to U back to USC. Goes out in a terrible fashion, gets fired. Uh, no, pretty mediocre record. Yeah, no, nothing really to write home about in terms of his performance. Goes goes to the uh, the Nick Saban uh, cleansing school where he he gets uh, Nick Saban's rehab institute. Yeah, he he sprinkles his magic dust on him, and he becomes like the third highest paid coach or fifth highest paid coach or whatever he is in the nation. Uh, in just in a, in a few years' time, after leading the Alabama uh, offense uh, for a few years there. Now, I will say this about Steve Sarkeesian. I think you know he he obviously he, he had um, his alcohol addiction uh, that got him fired at USC. He seemingly got his life turned back around, and he, he's I think he's a talented play caller and and a very good you know offensive coach. You saw what he did at Alabama last year. But you know, I think you and me could have called plays for Alabama last year with how good. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Was. He Alabama's offense is really good. Yeah, and and I think he's a fine play caller, all that stuff. But there's a lot more than to being a head coach at a school like Texas than being a play caller. You have to be able to instill some toughness and instill some discipline, and that's really been the case since Mac Brown. They never really had that even under Mac. I mean, Mac's kind of a player's coach, but you know what? He, he could at least get those boys fired up and have them play some disciplined football. And 
in addition to being insanely talented, which yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this. There's the whole, there's the whole, you know, train of thought and in line of thinking that Texas is the most talented team, you know, in the big 12 year in, year out. I'm telling you for a fact that they are not, their players are not that good. Most of them, they have some standouts, but John Robinson's a terrific player, but the rest of their, the rest of their players outside of maybe a couple of their wide receivers. I mean, they're just, they're just normal guys. They're not really very good. Yeah. They might've been four or five star guys, but they are not very good players. Well, then it's whatever the reason it, it, it's just crazy to me that Texas is struggling to get to bull eligibility in any year. Um, and well, things will lighten up for them once they get to the SEC, I'm sure. Well, I expect them to be just about as successful there as they've been in the Big 12, um, which is to say pretty middling um, most years. But I, I just don't get it. I, I think Sarkey – I, I don't know why Texas is screwing around hiring a court. Go hire James Franklin. Go hire, like, obviously the, the shine's kind of come off these two. But James Franklin, hire Dan. I, we said hire Dan Mullen. Go yep. Steve, like, go get somebody who is currently killing it at a Power 5 job. Yeah, uh, and pay him more money. And, yeah. I mean, those are, those are coaching hires that you would expect, like, a program on the level of like Ole Miss or like uh, Oklahoma State to be pulling in, like like a Tom Herman or uh, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, it just boggles my mind that they're not able to land that A and M was able to go hire Jimbo Fisher, for instance, a national championship winning head coach. Meanwhile, Texas is hiring a head coach whose head coaching record was like just about five hundred. Uh, yeah, but he coached for but he coached at Nick's with Nick Saban. And he learned everything everything you need to know. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Sarkeesian's head coaching record at this point is fifty and forty one. Okay, he had a conference record of twenty four and twenty one at Washington, and a conference record of seven and five at USC. Now two and five in the Big Twelve. So, he's like right around. 500 in conference it three pretty darn good jobs um i i just don't i just don't really get it i i don't know why they're why they were screwing around with somebody who's not a bona fide superstar because they got more money than you know the the yeah they got they got more money than the Rockefellers. Okay. You know, yeah. let's just call it how it is. But the problem is with Texas and it's the problem with, you know, there's probably, you can say this about for a lot of jobs, but it's probably more true at Texas than any place else. They've got too many cooks in the kitchen. They've got everyone wanting to get involved. It's always been the case. There are too many, too many boosters. That's what they to, say. And, I, I don't know. And, I and, think, and I can't, and I can't tell you one way or the other, but I think, too, the other thing, and I think one thing that will really help them is when they get the damn Longhorn Network completely off the air so that these coaches don't have to go do these extended shows or whatever and have all these they, – they, I mean, they don't want to have to do that stuff. And, you know, I'm sure 
that they would just as soon not do that. I don't now is the reason that Texas isn't any good because their coaches have to go do another hour of interviews. No, I'm not saying that at all, but I think it's just another inconvenience of how the show is more important than really uh, the grind at Texas because they are soft. S A W F T. Exactly. Big cast. Um, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I, it just, I, I think, I don't know whether it's this, these external things like Longhorn Network or, or too many cooks in the kitchen. I think the answer is as simple as they've hired three goofballs in a row. Well, and then the other thing, yeah. They thought they were going to get something with Charlie Strong. He turns out to be a goof. Herman, obviously a goof. And that's kind of the nature of the beast with coaching hires, especially when you're not hired proven power five commodities, um, that it's always a, a dice roll, right? I mean, yep. it's, it's just kind of how it goes. And they've, unfortunately for them, come up on the short end of the stick three times in a row. And obviously, the Sarkeesian book isn't quite finished at Texas yet, um, although it looks like it might not be very long because it wouldn't shock me if uh, – like might said, be like one of my favorite kind of books. Nice and short, man. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like, I got, I've got more, I've got more film to watch. I don't have time to do much reading. Yeah. So but anyway, well, that I, I don't want to stretch this segment of Dell tells on too long, but uh, good grief. They, they have no excuse for being this bad. Yeah. It, it's, it's a complete mess. I think one thing that just tells you how much of a joke it is. I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, there's like a five-star and four-star recruit there that were on, they're on an unofficial. And uh, they're, they're, of course, as, as any 18 or 17-year-old kid it, it would do, I mean, right, they're, they're watching. They've got, you know, seats in the end zone uh, for the final play uh, where, where KU gets uh, the two-point conversion to win the ball game. And they're, they're recording it on their cell phone. And, uh, you know, they, like, they're kind of at least, you know, one – I can't – I don't know who these guys are. But – once uh, it's a it's converted there's a little bit of like kind of like stunned like oh my god texas just lost to ku and then they just start laughing yeah well it's kind of funny it is kind of funny i guess i mean they were they were probably just really wanting to just get home as quickly as they could to see if they could find bh's call uh of the actions and to see how it sounded on the jayhawk network but uh anyway tough times for texas Tough times for Texas, and I'll tell you what. I mean, let's just let's just hypothesize here. Let's just throw some things around the sandbox a little bit. Let's say Texas gets beat by three scores this week against West Virginia. Like, call it like forty to twenty-one. That's just if that's the final score. That's remarkable job by me. Uh, 40 to 21. And then K-State goes into Austin Black Friday and they roll it up like something like 55 to like 20, 55, 17. I don't know if Steve Sarkeesian sees next year. I really don't. I, I think that would be almost, I know we're living in uncertain and unprecedented times, but firing a coach after one year would, would for performance, I think would be about as unprecedented as it gets. But in that situation where they lose, like, I mean, just not competitive games. And, like, Deuce Vaughn runs for, like, 300 yards against against them on Black Friday in front of a national televised. I mean, it's the only game on TV. It's the only game going on. 
maybe at the time. And, uh, man, that would be something, man. That would be quite the alternate universe. I, to think I hope about. it happens. That, yeah. I mean, that would be, I guess, I mean, I'm telling you what, man, I don't have a great feel for how things are down on the 40 acres, but, um, that seems like it would be tough to come back from because I mean, essentially you can bring them back next year, but you're just going to fire them next year. I mean, yeah. you're just, you're just, you're just delaying the inevitable. So, uh, what I, what a wise man once told me, if it must be done eventually, it must be done immediately. That's kind of wow. going into philosopher's corner there a little bit. Yeah. That's a smart, that's a smart thing you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dell, I think let's just wrap it up here. Um, great episode here, man. We kind of, we kind of got it all over the place here and, and, and got to break down some of the happenings in the big 12 conference. It's an exciting week in and around the conference here uh, as a lot still to play for, for uh, a number of different teams, whether if it's finding a way to get to um, get to Arlington for the big 12 title, whether if it's for Oklahoma state and Oklahoma, maybe trying to get into the playoff or, or whether if it's just a couple of teams, Texas, West Virginia, uh, and uh, TCU all trying to fight for bowl eligibility teams like K-State you're just trying to win as many games as you can to improve your stock and, and, and get keep momentum building uh, for the program that you're looking to build so everyone's got something to play for yeah yeah uh, I'll be at the game on Saturday but uh, I'm almost sad because I won't be able to uh, sit in front of the boob tube all uh, all day and, and catch the rest of the Big 12 action yeah, should be a great weekend of action and uh, looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out. So, well, we'll be back next week. Uh, location undetermined on kind of where we'll bring this uh, this next episode, the short side option to you from. But uh, we'll be we'll be in touch uh, on the Twitter machine uh, to get uh, everyone uh, squared away on kind of what the recording plans are for the Thanksgiving weekend. But have no fear, folks. You'll have a nice episode of the shorts, a nice fresh edition of the short side option uh, to take you wherever you're going uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday. If you're sticking around, uh, you know, listen to deal on the icon as you, uh, as you get that Turkey ready. Uh, Cause you're listening to, or you're listening to one of the biggest turkeys and it's not the icon. Uh, I'll tell you that much right now. All right. So, all right, well, that'll do it here for this edition of the short side option podcast. Thank you for listening and go cats. <laughs>